Hello everybody, how's it going, and welcome back to the Kilconnor Club podcast, episode 99, one away from 100 now, madness. Uh, I'm one of your host, James, and I'm joined, as always, by Tyler. As always, how's it going, my friend? Pretty good, pretty good. How you doing? Yeah, you know, getting there, pretty good, pretty good. Okay, great stuff, brilliant, wonderful. Anyways, (laughs) uh, today on episode 99, the episode before episode 100, we're joined by one of the most popular guests we've had on this podcast that everyone's been asking us to get on get back on for a while which is colin moriai how's it going colin welcome back it's good thank you for having me back here in uh sunny santa monica it's good to be with you guys <clears throat> yeah thank you thank you and we have to thank our patreon producers that's uh, king richard the third craig seth and josh devlier for helping out this podcast um now if you like what you're listening to here and you want to hear more, head over to patreon.com forward slash as always, uh, where you get exclusive podcasts every week. This podcast is an on plus early access to our movie spoiler cast podcast, the cinema room podcast. Uh, it's a, it's a brilliant thing. We just did our Avengers Endgame spoiler cast, which went out to everyone. And then this coming Sunday on Patreon is Game of Thrones, half, first half of season eight. Um, so go check that out for just a dollar a month. Um, and to thank uh, all of the Sweet Avengers ads, at the $5 plus tier, we have King Richard III, Acraic, Seth, Ballsack47, Cassassin, Josh Devlier, TJFL, Damien, Billy the Team Tynamite, Captain Robertson, Team Anil Travis, Kimasabe Gamer, Alfie Rodbert, Casey Wood, Adam Sunling, Alfie Rosell, Jamie the Gamer, Smexy Dork, Lumistrad, Mario5380, Flossing Thanos, Viridian, Pinkflame313, Arun Win, Ollie the Dane, Fatfuck Cuck, Nib, <laughs> Brenton or BQ Overlord, Ravjai, Julie, Prudvy Mover, Oscar, James and Lad, Connor DeRose, Believe the Alley, Zaheer, Gene, Zeke Collins, Son of a Bitch, Urgia Doggo, Goddamn It Glenn, Furious Coco, The ACMJS, Delta R Rodriguez, Kyle, S. Jaws, Kyle Marvel, Marcus Blackburn, Emil Catborg, Joshua Mora, Ginkgo Swag, Andrew Katona, Master the Bass, 2434, Yazen, Joe the Sexy Boy Smith, Joe aka Founder Scarab, HBAR's 12, I Got Lombargo, Iron Man's for the Dads, Brian Ford, Casper, Milk Boy, Shields, Fishy, and Andrew Martinez. Thanks, guys. Help power this podcast. Uh, apologies for the list, Colin. It is hilarious, but uh, oh no, yeah. it's all good. I, I do it at the end. Uh, shout out to Ballsack forty seven, by the way, whatever his <laughs> name was, like, especially like him. But uh, no, I I read my twenty five dollar and up subs names every month and put it in the end, and uh, so I just I edit it all together and then just put it at the end of all the episodes, like the same recording. Yeah. Um, that way, uh, that way I don't you know. I don't want people to be annoyed by me saying the names over and over and butchering their names. It gives me a chance to, like, rectify bad pronunciations and whatnot. So, yeah, I think, no, I've I've listened to that and I like the technique, really like the technique. Now, we've talked about doing that and we've kind of come to the conclusion that we like screwing up the names and just kind of rolling with it and just seeing how we do it. It's almost like a bit of a game we have. How fast can we get through the list without screwing up? How many mistakes do we make? It's just, I don't know. It's kind of just become a part of the show, It's become like a ritual tradition. I love it. It's great. Especially with guests as well, because I like to see what names they like and laugh at. Like, Bullseye 47 is particularly one of my favorites. He's been around for a long time, so uh, most people have a good laugh at him. I also love that. There was another one, too. I can't even remember it now. But fat they, fuck there were some cuck. good, yeah, that fat was, fuck yeah. cuck. That was a, that's another one that I really, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I heard the laugh of that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's broken a few people. But people will change their names just to break us as well. Like we won't know. We'll turn on the list and people have like changed their name to something so ridiculous just to see our reaction, and we'll it'll break our list flow. So that's what kind of it's that's why it's kind of the game because 
we want to try to get through it really fast without making a mistake and then all of a sudden we slip over someone's you know change their name to lamp or something just uh-huh. super lamp weird. got me yeah <laughs> i think lamp, well, fair yeah, enough. yeah lamp was the one that got us bad but yeah yeah, here we are. Um, Kill Connor Club 99, one away from 100. It's um, very exciting and so glad to have you on, Colin, uh, on the road to 100. Um, it's, it's very exciting for us. And there's a lot of news uh, going on at the moment, m- mainly with the PlayStation 5. And in the last couple of weeks, I'm not too... I've been... I feel like out of the loop. I'm not too followed up on this. But, James, you know more about this than I do. What's, like, sure. the main news surrounding the PlayStation 5 what what the hell's going on like they've they've made an announcement as and they named it or is it just like here's what we're working on um i there was an article that was released i think it was it was through wired right um it was interview with i believe uh mark cerny um uh, talking about the PlayStation 5. I don't remember if they called it the PlayStation 5. I remember I skimmed the article and I watched Robin Gaming's video on it because it was way better than reading the article. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they gave they gave us bits and pieces about the about the about the about about the next console. Talking like, oh, it'll have it's you know the potential for ray tracing, the potential for 8K and things like that. The different you know technical things inside the console. Um, and basically saying oh, it's not coming in 2019, which, I mean, we all pretty much knew that it wasn't coming in 2019. Um, so just interesting things here and there. I guess to, I guess to kickstart, you know, kickstart the sort of the 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 race between the next-gen consoles, I guess. It's very strange that it came through an article, um, you know, just sort of in the middle, like, you know, be- be- middle of the beginning of 2019. It's, it's strange, but um, I thought it was like an event. I thought it was like an event or something. No, I didn't realise no. it was an interview. They just they just dropped it one day. They just it just they just came out of an article and everyone was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, well, but yeah. Okay, Colin, you're the PlayStation expert. What's what what's your take on this? Yeah, so I think what ended up happening is that Sony realized that they needed to say something uh, because they knew that. And we all know that E3, they're not going to be at E3, they don't have a show floor presence, they don't have a press conference. Interestingly, Square Enix has slid into their traditional time for their uh, presser, which is super fascinating to me, um, indicating that Sony might not be back next year. Uh, but that's a, that's a totally another story entirely. Um, but I think what Sony realized is that Microsoft's going to be dominating E3, that clearly the new box is going to be there in some way. And whether or not they show it, I doubt they show it. That's kind of a late thing, but they're going to talk about it. Maybe they talk about games that are in development. Microsoft is going to go first this time, in other words. People will remember that Sony went first last time. And so I think that Sony is just just trying to line up and say, listen, we are doing something. They invited uh, a pretty well-respected Wired journalist to Japan to talk to Mark Cerny, I believe. Mark Cerny lives in Tokyo. He's fluent in Japanese. So last time I saw him was at Sony headquarters in Tokyo some years ago. And uh, I think that they just wanted to kind of touch on some things. And if you read the article, it's pretty interesting because there's a lot of questions answered about PlayStation 5 in there. There's actually quite a few really important questions answered, uh, including the fact that it'll be backwards compatible. So we 100% know that. Uh, that they're working on making the effects of PlayStation 5's computational power backwards compatible as well. And so they showed Spider-Man running on PS4 and on PS5. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this part of the article or anything like that, but this was the most interesting part. They loaded up the game on both consoles. Obviously, they're running it on a PC, basically, that no one saw for PlayStation 5. And the game, they quick-traveled in the game, which took something like 12 seconds on PS4, and it took less than a second on PS5. 
Um, Holy and so, shit. and so the PS5 is able to apparently whether Spider-Man's a second-party game, so they could really manipulate this game and have this game ready to go. But it seems like the backwards compatibility is going to be such that it's going to have really powerful effects on games that already exist um, and make them faster and hopefully raise their fidelity. They also talked, uh, as was already mentioned, about 8K. This has been a very controversial thing because one, no one yeah, really knows possible? if you. Well, no one really knows, first of all, if you can even see 8K on monitors that are too small. Like, our, our TVs... I'm not a technical guy at all, as you guys know, but, like, I have a, whatever, a 50-inch TV. 8K on a 50-inch TV might be co totally negligible, actually, compared to a 4K TV. Uh, but the big controversy around it is that they... Cerny seemed to have indicated that they will be able to do 8K something. And people are saying that that's, that's impossible because the console will be... And more enormously expensive. The other interesting thing he said in the interview, and this was only a, in a follow-up. I can't believe this was in, wasn't in the actual story, but the next day or the day after the story came out, the author tweeted out this quote from Cerny that they didn't put in the story for some reason. Um, and it was basically uh, him talking about the price of the console. Um, and he says something along the lines of, we think it'll be an appropriate price based on what the console can do. So there's a lot of like mm. really interesting stuff in the article, and this is Sony's way of just saying like we're here. Um, this is going to be a quiet year. The Sony financials that just came out indicate that they expect first-party revenue to fall. Um, their marketing budget is staying static, which means, as we already discussed, they're not going to launch a new console. This also indicates, by the way, that they're probably not going to launch The Last of Us Part Two or Ghost of Tsushima in this fiscal year. Um, when when does the fiscal year knows? end? Is it is it till March? Yeah, it's March to March. Yeah, um, so okay. there's, there's. I'm sorry, I'm getting like really PlayStation nerd here, but there's no, 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 no. I get that. So last year we had two first party games. Actually, we had a first party game and two second party games, right? We had uh, Spider Man and Detroit, which were second party, and then we had God of War, which is a first party game. This year we have in the fiscal year we'll have we'll have Days Gone. We'll probably have Dreams. If the marketing budget stays the same, which they say it is, then that indicates maybe one more game that's going to come out um, before March. So it seems like PS4 is going to be really backloaded, which is awesome. I'm really excited about that because they're going to have like a really big blow-up thing, hopefully with like a redesigned console that's sold less um, or that's uh, worth less so people can go buy one for $199 or something like that. Um, and then they'll segue right into PS5. And the shit I'm hearing about PS5 is really exciting. I mean, you know, there are, I'm hearing exciting rumors about games that are in development, um, you know, that I think people are really going to be pleased about. So I, I think it's just, it's just an exciting but quiet time, and I think this is really going to be Microsoft's year to shine, you know? Yeah, mm. okay. So so I think, I find that interesting, the backwards compatibility, you know, the straightaway very early, they're, they're saying, yeah, well, PS4, it, it, everything's going to work, good to go. Why do you think that that has been such a contentious issue in previous generations with consoles, that that isn't something that just, it should be, to me, automatic, that one console should be able to link to the next console, that way the games, especially when you've got a backlog PS4, as you say, um, with like Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding, Last of Us Part 2, you want to be able to seamlessly play those games and reward still those fans that are going to buy your console day one to still be able to play their logged games they've got on the PlayStation 4 but also then your launch titles as well. Why is this the first time in a long time it seems like this is just going to happen easily? I think it's because it's the most relevant time for this to happen. I think that there's a relationship, like a direct relationship between the increase in digital sales particularly and then the want for backwards compatibility because it's a really compelling thing to release the PlayStation 5 and say, listen, you can buy this console 
look at to the Spider-Man example earlier. Look what it does to your old games. You have your new games that you can play, and it's backwards compatible with the PSN from PS4. It's backwards compatible with all your games. I think that that's just most important because people are buying digitally more and more. I think the reason that it doesn't go backwards further and that that wasn't a huge concern is because a lot of conflicting stuff happened during PS3's era. You'll remember that PS3 was backwards compatible with PS2, and then they removed that. Um, and the reason that they wanted to do that was because they wanted to sell games again. Uh, the PS3's cell architecture is also really complicated, so they're going to need to emulate an environment to make to make it go backwards further. I think that's actually going to be the really interesting thing, is if the console is truly backwards compatible, uh, going backwards even further than PS4, I think people need to kind of check their expectations that that's going to happen. Um, because... What's interesting is that Xbox One wasn't natively able to play Xbox 360 games, and they managed to make an engineering solution with firmware to emulate Xbox 360's environment on Xbox One. I don't know why Sony can't do that with PlayStation 4. Uh, maybe they choose not to do that. Maybe it's, it infringes on PlayStation Now's viability and Gaikai's viability, and that might be a big part of PS5 as well, playing even older games. So there's a lot of like really interesting stuff to kind of delve through with PlayStation right now. Um, but again, I really think this is just them saying, like, we're not anywhere near ready to say anything. I really think they're going to reveal the console at PlayStation experience. I think that that would be a really smart thing to do. Um, and uh, I think that for the meantime, they're just going to kind of disappear for a little while. And so this was a way of them saying, like, yeah, we, we have a, 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 you know, Wired is a very well-respected, technologically um, in-tune publication. We're going to just have them come out, talk to them for a little while, and then... That will spread, and they were right. You know, everyone's talking about it. So, yeah, mm. yeah. No, you're right. I mean, we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what you? So you've been talking about this for years, Colin. Saying 2020 is when these next consoles are coming out. Are you still pretty firm about probably fall 2020? Both the next Xbox, next PlayStation will be um, released, or do you think there'll be different times, not as close together as maybe the Xbox One and PlayStation Four? I think it's entirely possible that the new Xbox comes out sooner um I, I think that it's entirely possible that it even comes out this year i don't see, see it's about affecting momentum everything i heard about playstation 5 early on you know several years ago and a couple of years ago was that it was actually going to come out this year and i think if you talk about people to talk to people that was the plan like that was the original plan in fact games have been in development for quite a while and probably would have been ready for launch if they really needed to be um including games from both first and second party but they pushed it out, I think, to 2020 because there's no reason to interrupt PS4's momentum. And I actually think PlayStation 4's success or lack thereof is going to be the entire indicator of when they launch the console. Um, PS4 is at, what, 96.8 million through the end of March? Yeah, it's going to pass. Yeah. yeah, it's going to pass 100 million this summer. And so that means it'll pass PS1 and it'll pass the Wii. And so there's no reason to get in its way. And I think that's, that's something Sony is juggling. So what I think is going to happen is that they're going to release the console in 2020, in the fall of 2020. I also think that they're going to redesign PS4 one more time to make it smaller and cheaper and maybe even have that ready to go at the end of the year or early next year to get one final push on PS4. Uh, you have to remember that PS2 was manufactured for 13 years and managed to get to 150 million units sold largely because of developing economies. Um, Brazil, for instance, it's really expensive to play games there because of their massive import taxes and their tariffs, uh, where PlayStation 4s were literally $2,500 when they launched. Um, so so countries like that, or the Middle East, or some African nations, um, the Indian subcontinent, etc., where the standard of living, or at least the monetary, your money doesn't go as far, uh, you might be living at a lower standard, you might not be able to afford, for instance, the newest technologies, uh, but the older technologies are still very much available to you and allow you to segue in. So PS4 might find a really powerful tool in some of those places as well to just keep selling. 
Um, but it, it remains unclear if Sony wants to get out of the way um, or not with uh, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. And so I think you'll see some cross-generational games. And of course, these, these consoles will intimately talk to each other. So it'll be really interesting to see how it all develops. But th what I'm most excited about are some of the games that I'm hearing about that I can't tell you guys about, unfortunately, um, that I think people are, are really going to be surprised by. And um, huh. you know, hopefully, hopefully more, more of that will come out uh, mm. you know, in the next year or so. Well, it, it, without saying anything, of course, specific, would you, comparing PlayStation 4 and its first 12 months, let's say, I won't just say launch because, you know, it's hard to be certain of, of what will launch um, and what will be a bit more spread. The first 12 months in terms of first and second party games for the PlayStation 4 compared to what you are hearing at this point, the first 12 months of the PlayStation 5 first second party games what's the comparison to you in terms of the quality and the scale? I think it's different because, first of all, I don't know when any of these, no one has ever told me that any of their games are launch games or whatever, you know? You have, sure. to, kind of make, you have to kind of make assumptions that, based on when they tell you and, and kind of the information you glean, and of course some of this stuff comes second and third hand from people you trust, so who the hell knows what the game of telephone was as well, but um, it seems like Sony is going to rely a lot more on, well, not a lot more on, but they want to get involved in multiplayer games more. Uh, they want to get involved in games as a service more. Their single-player games are going to continue. That's their bread and butter, and I think that they know that. Um, so you're obviously going to get a continuation of a lot of, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Horizon sequel, for instance. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Days Gone sequel. Um, but at the same time, they're, I think, going to move more into a space where, you know, persistent shooters and battle royale stuff like i know that they're very interested in doing that especially on the second party front and so that's what i would watch out for and i think you'll see some of that stuff even on ps4 but i'm not entirely sure so i think it's sony just trying to identify as far as i understand trying to identify holes in their catalog and they have massive holes in their catalog um you know they really don't have an online shooter that's really well respected Killzone is still played by some people, Shadowfall for instance, but they don't really have something in that space. They obviously don't have a Battle Royale. They do have a massive exclusive sports game um, in the show, which I know they're really excited about, and that sells extraordinarily well on nine-month dev cycles, which is awesome. Um, so they have these various holes to fill, and I actually think another hole that they need to fill is uh, on the indie front. I'm hearing a lot from independent developers over the last year or so, including independent developers that sold very big on PSN, that Sony really doesn't care about them that much anymore. And, you know, you can kind of see that even with Housemark moving away and some of the better, you know, uh, uh, Future Lab and some of these studios that were very well known for making second party kind of big indie digital titles. So I think they also need to dwell in that space, too. But I don't know that they care so much anymore about the smaller games. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I think I know, James, I've been talking for the last, well, I mean, at least two years that we kind of thought the smartest move, especially with I think the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 lacked big launch titles and yeah, yeah. in terms of the the make you go i need to have this new console like the fact that the xbox one didn't have a halo to launch with was so insane to me and i think they've been doing the smart thing and waiting and holding off and spending time on this next halo to wait until their console is coming out to put a halo out with it even though i, I you know i assume it's coming out on both um xbox one and this next console but I think Horizon Zero Dawn, like a sequel, I mean, to me, I don't know about you, James, but it seems like the most logical, oh, the, yeah. the smartest so. move. Especially with the development, like the, the amount of time they'd have had to develop uh, a, new, a new Horizon game. But then also, looking at um, Guerrilla, the, the, they've been expanding... 
people have been speculating are they potentially working on a new kill zone like with what you were saying colin with their uh with with sony wanting to have something in that multiplayer space is is do you think there's potential there for gorilla do you think do you think they're working on a new horizon or do you think they're they may be working on a kill zone or maybe both, or both. Is that is that why they're expanding what i understand is that they're working on two games and i don't right. know that the first the first game is horizon absolutely the second game i don't i thought it was Killzone, but i've heard that it's not necessarily Killzone. but i've also heard that that it's mm -hmm. possible Killzone is in development somewhere else um i don't think that that's a um Killzone is a thing that sony really wants to make happen and they've mm -hmm. wanted to make this happen for 15 fucking years you know yeah. it's, this is not yeah. a this is not a new franchise the thing about Killzone that's really interesting is that it's actually very well respected with the people that play it it sells a few million copies shadowfall did pretty well i actually disagree slightly with you guys saying that there were no launch games because in fact like i really think that if anything sony might have suffered from having too many games available at launch because not not in the first party but just like there was a call of duty and a battlefield for instance there was they had their own sure. first party game there was an assassin's creed game there was all of this shit where it was kind of a hodgepodge and a mixture of stuff it'll be a little more interesting this time because you're going to launch a console inherently knowing that everything you already have will play on it so this is a double-edged sword because that might not convince people to go out and get new games especially if games like death stranding are, are really truly cross-platform which i think is possible so they have a lot of interesting marketing challenges because I think the problem, guys, with PS4 is that it's... And I know this is like such a Colin thing and I don't mean to sound like a fanboy. I'm really not a fanboy. I think anyone <laughs> that knows me knows this, but PS4 is too good. And what I mean by that is like the experience is just great. It works. You know, like it does everything you want it to do. The games are pretty good. A lot of people just use it for, for entertainment. You got to really come out with something special and something big that's going to make people want to make the jump. And so... You know, they do have to worry about the, the thing that they don't have for launch um, or didn't have for launch last time was a truly big, universally beloved triple A game like a Zelda on Switch. You know what I mean? Like Killzone's a big game and Knack was obviously a thing that they wanted to make happen as well. But they need like a God of War, which they're not going to have. I don't want to get your guys hopes up no. or no, The no, Last no, of, of Us or mm -hmm. but something big, something really triple A big uh, to get out there. But I don't know. They have a big marketing challenge ahead of them with this because I don't know how you convince people to make the jump. I By the time I was done with PS3, I fucking hated it, you know, because it was like so clunky and it just it was always updating and it always froze and it was just so slow. I don't know, man. I, I think that like it's there's such a thing as making a box or an experience that's like good enough and or too good where people are like, eh, I'm fine. And I think that that's going to be something that that kind of malaise, I think, is going to be something that both manufacturers are going to have to overcome unless they have like really big feature sets and really big games um that are ready to go and you guys brought up halo it's funny because microsoft bought you know is has been so flexible with halo for so long i mean you guys will recall do you guys know why there were so many television sets on the stage at microsoft microsoft no. e3 press conference no. last year no. the reason that was was because they were going to have a live demonstration of halo's battle royale mode and when they saw that uh, Battlefield or whatever, whatever w went first at EA didn't wasn't well received. They just didn't do it. That's why all those TVs were on the stage. So like wow. they show, so they show levels of flexibility. Um, you know that, you know in the moment, nonetheless with like a long term goal. So if I would put my trust in someone, I would put my trust in Phil Spencer to figure it out. I think Sony has a real formidable opponent um, mm. in in this Xbox, and I think they have to be pretty careful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, the thing is, I'm an Xbox guy. Like, I'm an Xbox fan. 
um, fanboy. Probably not to the degree you're a, you're a PlayStation fan, but I there's no disputing the fact the PlayStation Four has kicked ass. Like I never had a PlayStation Three. I was a complete Xbox guy, Xbox only. But I, I have a PlayStation 4. You, you kind of have no choice if you love games. Because, I mean, I think the th- three of the best, if not four, of the top five games of this generation, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn, Uncharted 4, God of War, um, and then, you know, Spider-Man Detroit. There's so many great second and first party games on PlayStation. I, I look at Xbox and I can't even name one in this generation that's blown me away. There was just... Hey, I've always been a Halo guy. Halo 5, never hated a game more in my life than that game. <laughs> like, it's just... I, I just am excited for this next generation, mostly in the sense of, like you're saying, with PlayStation, they're kind of fine right now. Like, it's not this big concern. But with Xbox, I trust that they know what mistakes they've made in the past. But I'm really excited to see what they're going to come out with in terms of games because that's where they've been lacking in the first and second party um, way because they've released these second and first party games, but they've, it's just been kind of misses. misses us. It's like an out of... It's, I don't know if it's out of touch or just timing or marketing. I don't know. What, what do you think's been the biggest issue with this last generation for Xbox, Colin? I think it's a lot... Well... It's like split vision, right? It's like fighting a war, and then your general just fucks it up and leaves, and then you have like another guy that has to come in and fix it, and it's really hard. Like, you know, Microsoft's a big fucking company, one of the biggest companies in the world, and steering steering a ship within that fleet is really difficult. And so, when Don Matrick totally shit the bed, they made a bet. I don't blame them, by the way, for making the bet they did. I think that this is something that it will be really fun to examine in the years to come. I remember watching, I was at IGN at the time, I remember watching the Xbox press conference and at the time being like, this is really fucking bad because they're making these really awful bets. But you can understand why they were making them. They were like, listen, we won last generation. They ended up actually losing ultimately. But they won last generation. They have the mind, the hearts and minds of everyone and they need to like kind of be persistent in their lives. So they had assumed that they captured gamers, I think, and then they were like, well, we need to be an entertainment device. We want to be a DVR. We want to be whatever the case might be. We have Connect, and we have all, you know, and they just bet wrong. They bet with sports. They bet with Call of Duty. They bet with all these things, and it's just not the right bet. So Phil Spencer is the guy for the job. I think Phil Spencer, again, is completely formidable. Um, and, you know, they've made wise purchases of studios. Not anything huge. I think Obsidian probably being their biggest and most consequential acquisition. And the interesting thing that's going to be with them is watching if they publish their games, all of their games exclusively only in their ecosystem. For instance, Cuphead, going, which is a second-party game technically and not owned by them, but that being published on Switch was a big deal because that never had to happen. That's the same thing with Sunset Overdrive. Like Microsoft owns the, the publishing rights to that game. They don't own the IP, but they own the publishing rights to it. So I think the issues for them were the ship is big. It's hard to steer. Games take time to make. When you start making decisions, it's not like you work at a cardboard manufacturer and you're like, I want the boxes to be a little bit bigger. So they like, you know, set everything up in their machines and then the boxes get spit out bigger like a few days later or a couple weeks later. It's like, I want to make a game and then it has to enter pre-production and get approvals and then it takes three to five years, you know, to make it. It's, it's, not, it's not something you just spit out. So that you have a captain at the, shi- at the helm of the ship like Phil Spencer, I'd feel very confident if I were an Xbox fan, personally. You know, that this was a bad generation. PS4 is probably outsold Xbox One 3 to 1 or, or more. It's not, a, it's not a good look. But Xbox One has outsold the original Xbox. It's in a respectable place. They have money. 
They have means. They have a new relationship with the Nintendo, which I very much think they're going to leverage. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like Virtual Console on the new Xbox. And um, and I think that they're going to just kind of play it smart. And I think that by do, I think Sony needs to be careful and not complacent. I rem- I'm old enough to remember the PS3 launch, you know, and it, it wasn't that long ago. And by the way, the PS2 was much more dominant than the PS4 is. So they need to be very, very careful about the way they segue in. But I'm excited to see what Xbox is going to do because I think healthy companies, healthy Nintendo, healthy Microsoft, healthy Sony, hell, even healthy Google with the uh, Stadia, this is good. This is all good. You yeah, know? And, well, th- and this, yeah. this creates a more competitive environment that actually draws down costs uh, if the market operates like a capitalist market does, which it always does. It'll draw down costs and it'll create better products. So, you know, even though I'm a Sony fan and I like PlayStation, I want Xbox to dominate and do as best as they can because that only makes a stronger Sony. And the only reason you got PS4, by the way, was because PS3 wasn't very good, you know, and they had to react to that. So this is everyone's in good space. I'm excited about 2020 personally. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And, and when I look at um, you mentioned the purchases of purchases of studios and openings of studios that Microsoft have done. Like it was exciting. Like last E three, just hearing them talk about games and the focus on new games is is exciting. And I mean, I I can't really because I have no information. I can't really talk about the game. You know, new IPs. But you know, seeing Halo, I'm just really hoping that that's you know they nail it, especially in terms of a campaign. Um, and then. I'm hoping as well because they've got. Uh, I feel like they're doing a similar thing. I'm not sure what you've heard about this, with uh, what they what uh, Sony did with Gorilla. I'm not. Well, I mean, Horizon was an idea that guys at Gorilla had. They wanted to make, and then they pitched, and that that's correct. Am I wrong in saying that? It wasn't like they were told to make a yeah, open yeah. world RPG or something like that. No, no. Sony typically lets the studios pitch them. So yeah, yeah that was that was what happened. Yes, whereas they've got playground games now, the rumors are, um, and they, you know, keep growing, that who make Forza Horizon have another studio, another team working on a fable, and and they're trying to make it, like, a competitor to Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, And that, to me, like, as a fable, long-time fable fan, and seeing how the franchise kind of took downward steps... The, the longer it went until they made an all-connect game and then it was just it was just dead in the water and Lionhead ended up closing down. Um, but I'm excited to see, you know, another company tackle this franchise that don't have, I guess, the this emotional attachment in terms of, like, we own this, this is ours, we've we got to control it. They can really try new things and, and take some risks and see what happens. But it, things like that, to me, excite me. Things like that to me excite me. The, that single player focus as well. Like in terms of Microsoft, because that's their big hole to me. Is I, I don't have any strong first and second party single player experiences. I not even close to a God of War, let alone Uncharted Four or Horizon for that matter on the Xbox. Like that's what needs to be for me that I want to see the next generation. Yeah, they need quality developers, and I think that they finally... First of all, they have some quality developers already, but they... You know, first of all, the initiative, I think, is actually the most exciting thing because that's in Santa Monica, where I live, um, and they put that studio here very intentionally, I think, because they're able to poach from really high-talented studios. Santa Monica and the the Western LA area have a huge influx of talent, right? Sony Santa Monica and Naughty Dog are here, um, and they've poached from both of those teams. 
Uh, they're able to poach from Insomniac. They're able to poach from Blizzard and Riot and all these teams. So they also have them. And and who knows? They are. Uh, that's a high budget, big team. I think they called it quadruple A. Is the, is the term they use. Like, that's how much money they're dumping into that team. The one thing that confuses me about Microsoft is, and their approach is, I think it's really stupid that they name their teams, or a couple of their teams, like 343 in the Coalition, basically making teams that just make Halo or just make Gears and, and are kind of expected to make those and are actually named after things in those games. I think that's fucking weird. Um, I think that's like, a, it's like Naughty Dog being Team Drake and all they make is Uncharted games. It's like, mm. that's corny. Like, don't you want to have like some sort of excitement and like some sort of like uncertainty about what your team's gonna do next instead of saying like, oh, these are the guys that handle Halo. Like I, I gotta be honest with you, Halo's not that important anymore. Make a new IP. That's like my that's my whole thing. Like you were saying you were excited about the return of Fable, but to me I'm like, no, no, no. Like make a new game. If you're going back to Fable, that's weird, you know? Make a new game. Sony's really good at that. And they are that and like like Sony's good mm -hmm. at like letting studios like off the hook. Now we're gonna get an Uncharted Five, right? There's a team in San Diego making a new Uncharted game. I think that's like a pretty open secret. You know, they're hiring for that team, so it's not like you, you know they're gonna just let these things go. And by the way, Uncharted Four, of course, ends on a on a cliffhanger, basically not a cliffhanger, but it sets it up. And so, mm. um, you know, not to spoil it for anyone, but it came out in 2016, and and you know, lo and behold, you're gonna play as Drake's daughter, I would assume. And so. It's not like they let go of the past entirely. We were just talking about Killzone, Medieval's coming back out and stuff like that. But it would be easiest to say to Naughty Dog, like, listen, you're just making Uncharted games forever. But we would have never gotten The Last of Us if that happened. Or going to Sucker Punch and being like, Sly Cooper's pretty big. Then we would have never gotten Infamous and we would have never gotten Ghost of Tsushima. It's, it's just, it's weird to me that, like, these teams aren't, like, 343 shouldn't be making a Halo game. They should be making something else. And, and to me, I, I, that's the thing that, Frustrates me, frustrates me a little bit about Microsoft. I don't. I'm not an Xbox guy, so I don't know if Xbox people agree with me. But I would be like, you know, I don't know. This is kind of boring. You know, on, on Sony's getting Death Stranding, and Ghost of Tsushima, and all these new things, and they just got God of War and Detroit and Horizon and Spider Man. All these new games, new IP. So if mm. I were looking at, if I, so if I were looking at that, I'd be like, man, I, I want new games. And I think that's what's so exciting about the teams that they've acquired is that. All those IP are, you know, they, they bought uh, Ninja Theory, for instance, right? Like, Heavenly Sword is owned by Sony. They're not going to make another Heavenly Sword game. And, you know, Enslaved is owned by, I think, Namco, or whoever the fuck published that game. So they can't make another one of those. Like, they, they have to make something new. That's what's exciting about it, you know? And so I'm excited that you're excited for a Fable game, but I would be more excited if it was something else. Well, mm. I think I've seen God of War and what, and what they've done with God of War, but also... I think I think the thing is with Fable specifically is one it was a franchise built in a universe that excites me a lot but was never really ever it never reached its potential to me it was just this ball of an idea that had infinite potential and was just kind of m met with mediocre ideas or at least not mediocre ideas, I actually had a lot of great ideas, but mediocre execution. And I think after seeing what um, happened with God of War and its sort of reinvention, I'm just excited to see a reinvention of a franchise that I think n never really got a fair crack since its first game. Uh, and I think as well, it, it's, it's, in a, it's in a universe where you can make it pretty much brand new and... and 
the thing I don't know how to explain this properly I guess but you know it's a world with magic it's a world with it's it's a corner of a fantasy that I don't think is really tackled at all and I don't see any reason not to do something with it I want to see lots of new IPs don't get me wrong but I guess I can't talk about them from these other studios because I don't know anything about them but I can be excited about a franchise that I think has infinite potential um, to do really well, especially if they want to make something in the realm of a Horizon Zero Dawn. I, I look at a game like that and I say, you can make a fable with this sort of style and it would be, I think, you know, trem- it would be easily the, the best sort of fable to play. Uh, it, it all just depends on, obviously, story and execution and uh, I, the technical side of things that you never know until games come out, obviously, but... Yeah, I, I get what you mean. You, you want to be excited for these new IPs and everything Sony's done, but... Um, yeah, I mean, especially... Just co- co- comments about Halo. You, you're not wrong. Like, it, it isn't that important anymore. And it's partly because of the infrequency and the inconsistency. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you just have to, like, you know... it's it's it, Managing your portfolio is really essential. And, and Microsoft mismanaged their portfolio. You can tell that games were greenlit by Matrix and then cancelled by Spencer, right? Um, you had games like Phantom Dust and you had Fable Legends and stuff like that that were cancelled. They closed Lionhead. But you see, that's the thing is like, why close Lionhead if Fable mattered to you? The, that's like an, uh, that's a weird move to me. I, I'm sure Fablehead, or uh, Fablehead, Lionhead was able to, you know, run uh, not very lean. I, I don't imagine Peter Molyneux is like a guy that doesn't spend a lot of money on games. And I, and I understand uh, all of that. And I'm again, I'm excited you're excited. But when I think about the broader thing, I'm like, you want to have a spreadshot approach where Fable's meaningless to a lot of people, right? Like, Fable means something to some people, but I look at PlayStation, like, Resistance really was really a meaningful p- franchise at one point. Resistance was a launch game for PS3. It was a really big game. Um, and Resistance isn't relevant anymore. And that's just the way it is, you know? And that sucks, because I like Resistance, but I also understand Insomniac's skills were probably better used on Spider-Man. And if they kept making Resistance, we would have never got Spider-Man. So that's like my whole thing is like I'd rather, I'd rather just take risks and and we'll see what happens. Um, but it, Microsoft has this interesting advantage where, with the exception of a few of a few IP like Halo, Gears, um, Forza, they don't really have this huge legacy where there aren't massive expectations. So they have a, an ability to not only you know the one exciting thing is that I would love to see them go backwards and and revive some really random shit. Like I've often said, and it's not even a joke. Like why not make a Blinks game? You know. Look at look at like how, look at Ratchet and Clank, look at uh, Hat and Time, look at Mario Odyssey. You can you can bring Blinks back and make him relevant to children, right? So there's exciting things like that that you can do, and then of course you can really use the brain power that you have at these various studios to make new things. Um, and I'd personally want to see the big open world RPG that you're talking about from Obsidian, not from, you know, some other studio. You know, not not from you know not you know I, I don't know. We have a difference of opinion here, but I also. I also admit that my opinion is not really relevant because I'm not one of the, I'm not an Xbox gamer. I want I want what you want. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm just biased because I love Fable. James, James, like James and I have been talking about this Fable game just because we're like the only two people that care about Fable on Earth. Like, yeah, <laughs> the only two Fable fans left. I think it's I think it's more the potential to see like like you said, Tyler, with um we haven't really seen Fable reach its potential. So I think it's just that excitement of. You know this. I mean, I, I'm I'm willing to to give them one last go at it. Like, give it to another studio, let them see what they can do, reinvent Fable, 
do something new because it, in in a sense it would act like a new ip whilst also hopefully if they did it right capturing you know the what i what i loved and i think what a, a you know a lot of other people loved about the fable franchise get those core things down but also reinvent it to be something new and interesting that could you know reinvent fable and lift it up and make it one of those great franchises i mean they could also completely fail in which case i'm fine with it being dead and being left um it's the same with honestly like halo for me i know for you tyler you, you fucking love halo so you'll you'll always want it to get better for me i'm sort of done with it like i love the multiplayer in five i think the campaign for the first three was really good four was you know fine five's campaign wasn't great it, it almost looks like with infinite um who knows exactly what direction they're going to go with it it feels to me almost like they want to reinvent it but they don't want to make a new game they want to make halo and i don't know whether that's going to mean that you know halo infinite's going to be I, it, it, I feel i feel like halo infinite's going to be disappointing i feel like it's not going to be a halo game i feel like it's going to be something else but they're, they're calling it Halo. And that's sort of something that I'm worried about um, with that. Because the difference with that is, with Fable, they can, you know, make a new game that's reinvented, but call it Fable and capture some of those elements. That, because Fable never reached its full potential. Whereas with Halo, I think it did reach its full potential, but they're trying to get away from that and do something else. And so I'm sort of, I'm sort of, I'm sort of done with Halo. Whereas I would like to see what they can do with the Fable universe. So... But, but obviously I'd love to see a bunch of new IPs as well because I think that's, you know, something that Sony did well and I think Xbox needs, so... I'm excited, though. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah well, you're right, and I think... Uh, look, if, as an Xbox guy, I don't think I should have... My opinion really matters all that much about what Xbox <clears throat> should do, especially when it comes to... The reason I'm an Xbox guy is mostly because of, you know, the first and second party games from previous... Certainly not this generation. <clears throat> um... But mm. it, it's all just nostalgia at this point because I have nothing at the moment to hold on to. So I'm just like, you know, hoping for something with Halo. But Halo was, for a long time, my favourite franchise going with, in games for a whole bunch of reasons, both the multiplayer, but I loved the story. I loved the universe. I loved reading the expanded novels and, and you know, learning about all these characters and the wars of the past and, and the forerunners and everything. And, mm. and so did I, yeah. that's, that's when the franchise died to me when its story was abysmal and they, you know, they had this whole marketing campaign and that's not what was delivered or even close. It wasn't even what the story was about. They tried to shroud it in mystery um, but then they, you know, by promising this whole storyline and then gave us this one that was nothing like it, but it wasn't like a great plot twist of like, oh, wow, it wasn't that one. <laughs> it was this and it was way more epic and awesome. It was just this very strange, balanced, um, unbalanced storyline where one moment I'm getting achievements pop up for a, what they're calling, you just completed mission 12 and it was uh, a walking in a like a set area and talking to one character and that was the whole mission and there goes you completed mission 12 and there's like three missions as master chief and 12 missions as this nothing bland character that has no development whatsoever that i i just yeah it's it's turning into halo 5 podcast yeah sorry, I'm yeah, sorry i can do this my, for another hour that's my, fine <laughs> No, no. That's my, that's my bad. That's my bad. You know me. I, Colin, whenever I talk about Halo Five, it gets yeah, it gets a bit much. I'm passionate. I hate. I, I hate it. that game so much. Passion, passion's good. Passion's a good thing. Yeah, it's like no, all, it it's like all we got. You know. Yeah. True. <laughs> true. But Halo Five passion is is yeah. It's not healthy. It's I love uh. It. It's I just, love it so much. <laughs> 
I, just, I, I could talk about Halo 5 until I'm red in the face and just, yeah, it's, it's funny. <laughs> but I, I guess, I, I obviously, I just don't want it to, something I care about to end with that. I think that's what, they could yeah. do Infinite and just give me, wrap it up. It doesn't even have to be great. Just be better than 5 and then move on. I'm happy, but Master yeah. Chief can go out on a high. Give him, give him a cool I, moment. I give know. him, like, that moment from the end of Halo 2. Like, they could have wrapped it up there. And although I love Halo 3, the ending of Halo 2 is fucking sick. That could have been the ending. I, I would have been, I I well, been I mean, happy. They should have... I mean, Bungie should have just... Um, should have just wrapped, wrapped up Halo would have been nice. But I mean, speaking they did, of Bungie... Though, they? Either, they did do that. Yeah, they did, they did do that. Um, speaking of Bungie... So, Bungie aren't partnered with Activision. Is that what's going on? Like, that, I know this is pretty old news, but... Are they now out of their deal? They don't have to make that third Destiny, even though they probably yeah. are. No, they're not making it. The the uh, Activision might might do something. Well, no, they are. So basically, what ended up happening is Activision just basically let them out of the deal um, and let them have the IP. Uh, this happened at the same time that I think Tencent or another Chinese company bought a minority stake in, Des- in uh, Bungie, so now they have cap- like working capital. So they don't need to have a publishing relationship, like a persistent publishing relationship, um, in order to survive, which is usually the case. I mean, a studio that loses its publishing deal can shut down tomorrow because they don't have an influx of money, but now they have a parent. Um, so they're able to take some risks and make the game on their own. It was unusual that Microsoft uh, let them go because the deal was a three-game deal um, with three massive DLC sets uh, that were... Actually, we broke the story on IGN long before Destiny was even announced back in the day. Yeah, I remember um, that. The, yeah. the funny thing was, I think... I can't. I don't recall, but I think the story that we ran stemmed from the fact that someone from Activision literally left a binder with all the information in a bar. Oh, um, no. And, and then someone found it and basically gave it to us and also, I think, gave it to Kotaku... And Kotaku decided not to run it. And I remember we had like a long talk with them if we were going to run it or not. And then we ended up running the story. But the the point is, is that that relationship decayed. Um, and you can tell that Bungie and Activision didn't get along with each other. And Bungie, by the way, delivered everything late. Now, whether or not that that's justified or not, if I were Activision, I'd be really upset about that because we're investing hundreds of millions of dollars into the series, including, you know, um, probably at this point, $100 million worth of marketing alone. So yeah, so they're gonna make they're gonna continue Destiny on their own and do their own thing, um, and become a self publisher. It looks like, and I think that they have the capital to do that. And that's kind of the beautiful thing of the independent ecosystem now is that actually independent studios could be huge, and not need a publisher. There aren't that many indie studios that are as big as Insomniac, for instance, anymore. Um, but even Insomniac has been p- finding new or smaller publishing partners because you just don't need that influx of uh, EA money anymore, or Activision money. So it's actually a pretty stable place to be as long as you make good games. Um, but it's a completely unstable place to be if you're trying to get publisher money because um, they're not making crazy bets anymore. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like Bungie. If- it doesn't seem like they've ever had a good working relationship with anyone they've worked with, like, in terms of Microsoft. I've, I remember hearing the stories and, and interviews with people coming out of it, like, they were just overworking for Microsoft. They were over having to make Halo. They wanted to go out and do their own thing, and, you know, that's why they, they left. And then they went to Activision and kind of got themselves in the same deal they got themselves in once they made that first Halo, and then they kind of got, you know, locked into years of doing that. And... Then Activision, yeah, like you said, it doesn't seem like they liked working with each other for various reasons. Um, what is it, do you think, about Bungie that, one, makes them special enough that they're such a sought-after studio, but also 
they have always had this struggling publisher relationship. I, I think they're just kind of like on the bleeding edge, or at least they've traditionally been on the bleeding edge. I'm, I don't think Bungie makes, in, in my opinion, like I like Halo. I think it's fun. I don't think I played Halo since three. Um, and I played the first yeah, Destiny for a while. Yeah, that's probably the right, right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to me, I, I think that they just, um, they're quality oriented. And you can tell that they have a very, or at least traditionally have had a very, like, it's done when it's done mentality, which is just, which is great for an artist, but not great if you're trying to make money or, or run a business. Destiny, everything Destiny was delivered like a year late at least, right? So uh, if you read the original documents, like Destiny was supposed to be ready a year earlier. The DLC was supposed to be ready a year earlier from there and so on and so forth. So when you're, when you run a studio that's like hundreds of people, that's, that could be like 50, 60 million dollars a year keeping that studio open, you know, just like paying salaries and you know, paying, you know, for rent and keeping the lights on and equipment and stuff. It's a fucking lot of money. I think that that's the thing that's lost on a lot of people is like the investment. People hate video game publishers and that's totally fine. I mean, people can feel how they want. But the reality is, is that it's really expensive to make a video game. And if like you can imagine if you had like a, even if like we all had a thousand dollars, let's say invested in this crowdfunded project and it was taking all this time and we were losing our ability to make money back and all that kind of stuff, you'd be pretty upset. And so I know that it's not popular to like take the publisher side and I'm not necessarily trying to do that. I'm simply trying to look at it from their point of view and from the point, you know, I own, I'm a shareholder in companies and I would want my money to be fiduciarily treated properly. Um, so it seemed like Bungie just kind of had a flippant regard towards that. Um, and I think the reason was because they knew that they were going to make plenty of money on the back end and everyone was going to be happy, but that creates a lot of tension. And, uh, you know, to your point, you guys, you know, they, they get out of one relationship and then they kind of get into another relationship that they don't really like. But I think that the relationship is what they didn't like. They like Destiny. Like, the, you can tell the team likes Destiny. And I say that they're on the bleeding edge because Halo is on the bleeding edge of console, um, both single player and multiplayer first person shooters and what we expect out of them. And Destiny was really at the bleeding front of the looter shooter, uh, loot craze with shooters, and, and is really a game that a lot of people identify. I mean, if you read the Bioware story about Anthem, that Kotaku wrote the expose, one of the things that they were bitching about over at Bioware was that everyone refused to look at Destiny, which was like a really interesting part of the story. Like they were super frustrated. Like, why aren't we copying Destiny? You know, that's a pretty big thing to say in the open and um, says a lot about how people respect you and your products. So regardless of how people feel about Halo, the old Halos or Destiny, there's no doubt that Bungie is going to like write its own, you know, chart its own path and it's going to be fine. De you know, they're going to do just fine without Activision. Yeah, well, mm. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm always excited to see what Bungie Bungie do, and and they are. I mean, they've been twice revolutionary, whether you know people are fans of it or not, uh, in terms of what what they've changed and <clears throat> and what they built. Like you said, Destiny was the first with that sort of looter shooter craze, and so many games ha have on this generation of console have come off making that type of game. Like the division's very different, but also that's that's what it is it is you know a multiplayer looter shooter story mixed in with what what ultimately is is a more i guess e expansive you know multiplayer experience as well then Abs again yeah absolutely the, the I, i'm actually curious it's a bit off topic but you're a big fan of the division one um because it's one of those games you can play by yourself i enjoyed that fact as well did James and I haven't played the second one at all, um, mainly because I, I don't know, I just felt like it looked like the exact same game again, in a less interesting place, 
what's your thoughts on the second division if you've if you played it I assume you have yeah I've probably played it for like I don't know 20 or 30 hours um I like it I like it a lot it, it is very similar to the original one it is way harder I was talking to people about that online like I'm getting cut down all the time in this game it's it's and I was like am I just like is this a get good scenario like am I getting older you know some, sometimes like I just encounter games that I'm not good at you know and I thought maybe this was just one of them, but that didn't make any sense to me. And then people were saying, no, the game is just way harder. I have to disagree with you, though, about the setting. Like, we play games in urban environments all the time. We just played Spider-Man in New York City. The original division was in New York City. I think Washington, D.C. is actually a really interesting place to set the game because our capital, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but our capital city is really weird. It's not like one of the traditional, you know, stately capitals of the world, like a Tokyo or a London or a or Sydney. It's like uh, swamps and water and like the Chesapeake Bay, like running through it and stuff. And so it creates this like really um, interesting ge geography and really interesting kind of confluence of, um, you know, urban meets really rural, like really backwoods and backwater stuff. That's the way Washington, D.C. is in the surrounding area. So um, I like it personally, but I, I might just have a connection to it because um, I'm familiar with the city or whatever. But I like, you know, what's so cool about those games, I love the shooting in those games. I just think they feel so good. And uh, the cover feels so good. You know, another game that was heavily inspired by something out of Xbox. I mean, without Gears of War, there would be no... I, I feel... Gears of War wasn't the first cover shooter. I know Kill Switch was really one of the first ones that did this, but it's just funny to trace the provenance back there, too. Like, Gears of War, there's a lot of Gears of War DNA in uh, in the division. So it's, it's just funny how that all works. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I, I never liked the Division 1. Um, I, I, th I don't think the Division is my type of game. I played, I mean, I played a lot of Destiny 2. Um, that was, uh, that was a that's pretty good time. But you, I, I that's lost you, myself you, to that. I think that might yeah. be why I don't like the Division. is because I'm like, if I like this and get into it, I'm going to lose myself to it. Like, with Destiny 2, I remember I played that for, like, a solid... Like, it must have been, like, a month and a half. I was on it every day. I, it was It was actually not good it was unhealthy yeah. i had to stop uh enough no i haven't touched it since and i have no desire to it was yeah it was it was it wasn't good but uh yeah i think <laughs> it, it, I, I, maybe i would get hooked on the division i don't know but i remember me uh me you and uh, my brother played it uh played the the beta for the division one and we had a lot yeah, of we fun had a with great that. time we had, we we had, had a, a great time, time we were doing the we did like streams for it and stuff and it was i thought it was awesome like i loved the first division but i think for me, what I loved was the eerie New York City, the snow, and and, and it just felt... I don't know how to explain it. Like, I just never had an, an experience um, in that setting. Like, and I think, yeah, like you said, Colin, I loved the shooting in that game. I loved the, the, the way the cover works. I just love how it felt. Um, it just felt so... Um, I don't know, like, heavy and grounded, but in, like, a good way when you play it. Like, I like a game that feels like very much like in in the world when you're walking around um mm. it's yeah. based on a cool it's based on a cool idea you know the dollar flu is like a really neat idea i love that it happens on black friday so everything's in perpetual christmas mode which is fucking cool as hell and super eerie and that's in washington dc too and what's even cool about the washington dc one is it takes place six months later so everything's in christmas decorations in the spring and summer which is super cool like i love I love those aspects that the world just shut down that day. And yeah, wow. um, no, I'm a post-apocalyptic fan. Like Red Dawn, you know, I always joke about how Red Dawn was like my fantasy as a kid. 
Um, so anything about like <laughs> anything about the like I have a real fantasy about you know a real fictional fantasy obviously about yeah. the fall of the United about the fall of the United you don't States. Really like, want I, I would <laughs> no not necessarily but like not no of course not but like the, the end of the United States is such an interesting device in fiction um, because it, how would it happen? I have no idea you know and mm. so it's it, it's always something fun to explore and I like that you know I think the division is just a finely made game and they do you know they ju they're just really good it's just a really good game and in a world where just so much shit is broken and just so much shit's fucked up like that game also worked out of the box um mm. you know i played it right before it came out it was fine and and that's a rare that's a rare thing so you know props to them ubisoft doesn't like me very much but uh, i happen to be a big fan of, and i know you guys oh, are th a big fan like of some of their that. games like yeah I, I imagine i mean they, i got i got a code for div the division by going through a, a canadian friend who hooked me up with their like french canadian pr people <laughs> um because their us pr people just will not talk to me and uh but the, the truth is is that i i think that they i think that pound for pound outside of the first parties ubisoft is the strongest publisher and so, um, and I don't like all their games. I just think that they, they make the highest quality stuff out of everybody consistently. And so I think the division just kind of falls in that bucket. And, you know, I recommend it, but it's not for everybody. And like I said, playing it by yourself, much harder than the first one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, James, I tell you, you need to find a way to go through these, like, other side people to get codes for things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ubisoft, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ubisoft Maybe. will not talk to James. Maybe. We'll if not talk to James yeah, I haven't well. for years. It's hilarious. If I wanted to play uh, if I wanted to play Ubisoft games, I might do, but I, I don't know whether I do. Uh, we'll see. What do, you, um, what do you mean? You, you buy them twice, bro. <laughs> no, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, uh, I do actually have a question about The Division. This is a really, really dumb question, and we I don't know if we know the answer to it, but you two might be able to answer me this um so you talked about how it's like the united states shut down right D does this spread to the rest of the world or like did they close borders or like so what's it, what's going on in europe like because black going on friday in I was gonna say, like black friday isn't really a thing in australia like they try they've been trying to bring it in like last year that people were like it's black friday sales i'm like well no it's not though is it like no <laughs> one's doing anything here like, yeah it, it was happen. also the dollar flu right like so it spread in it was in the u.s i don't know much about the division law so you know right yeah. Forgive yeah, me, so basically what happens is what happened, that, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't, there might be like voice recorders or whatever that indicate what happened in the rest of the world, but basically, you know, these terrorists go to New York City on Black Friday, I think there are like five $1 bills that they put into circulation, and then it causes massive chaos and massive death. The assumption is, is that they get out, you know, and, and, it, and it does spread to the rest of the world, but I don't know for sure, because the one thing that's weird about it people that are really into the division know i think they're even novels so you might be able to answer this but you know people out there but it's unclear to me like how much time passes between the dollars going into circulation and people dying you would have to assume if that was like a really quick thing that borders would be shut down and stuff like that but i don't know the one thing that indicates that it has spread to the rest of the world is that you would assume that people would come and help us maybe not Maybe everyone would like to see us fucking die and wither away but you would assume, <laughs> no, you, would assume okay. but you would assume you would assume that we would have foreign help if like yeah. you know, wouldn't like yeah. NATO or something would come and like help us out. Yeah, yeah um, sure. So you have to assume everyone's got their own problems at this point. <clears throat> yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, and okay. people for sure would would yeah definitely coming up. Okay. You'd, you'd, in that case, think. I mean, if it really happened, they would. I don't know about division law, but like yeah. right. look, if yeah. yeah, look, I'm gonna head cannon. Yeah, that it did happen to the rest of the world somehow. In which case, let's see some other places. That'd be fun. Do you get it? Like, yeah, I, mean, no, I, I would love that. I, also, I would love that too. I also don't care because I'm not going to play it, but also <laughs> I'd like I mean, to I'll see it I'll, for five I'll, minutes. I'll, 
Yeah, I'll play it if for once in a game ever they do something in Australia, which will never happen. But maybe I'd one play day. it. I'd Mad play Max. It. Yeah, Am- well, true. Avalanche's Mad Max was in Australia, wasn't it? Yeah. What was yeah. A, what was another game? God, I can't think of any games I played in Australia. Ty the Tasmanian yeah. Tiger was in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was in. Ta- I guess he was in Tasmania. Tasmania yeah. is part of Australia, though, right? Yes, it um, is. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't count it. I don't count it. I think it's oh, yeah, Forza no, Horizon but, three. But technically, but technically. Forza Horizon 3. Yeah, don't, I don't get a racing game. But you like, don't? I mean, okay. Like, <laughs> well, I do, so... Yeah, okay. I guess so. I guess. I mean, you're right. I'll buy it was it. in Australia. For your I mean, I'm, 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 I'm 100% with here. you guys, though, by the way. just I'm sorry to interrupt, but just 100% with you. I would have liked the Division 2 to pl- take place somewhere else, so... I, I think, like, London or Sydney or some other city, Paris, Tokyo, Beijing... Like, there's a lot of yeah. cool places you can go. Yeah. Or just, like, you know what would be really neat? Like, go to the middle of... Go to, like, the interior of Africa. I think the reason why they... Um, I think the major reason, though, is that it's a Tom Clancy game. Tom Clancy's been dead for a long time, but... Um, Ubisoft owns Tom Clancy's name. Tom Clancy wrote American political dramas, and so I assume that that's why it's in the U.S., you know? Yeah, um, that makes sense. I've only read a few of his books, but, like, Red Storm Rising is my favorite Tom Clancy book, and that takes place overseas a little bit. But generally speaking... You know, I think that they want to keep it there to be true to that name, too. Although, I was talking to Erin the other day about it, my girlfriend. I'm like, why do they keep strapping Tom Clancy's name to this shit like it matters? Tom Clancy was a name that was, like, really big in, like, the 80s and 90s, right? Like, really, really big. He wrote, like, amazing thrillers, and people loved Tom Clancy and Hunt for Red October and all that shit. Um, But I don't know that, like, a 15-year-old playing The Division gives a flying fuck about Tom yeah. Clancy. You yeah, know? So I was always a little yeah. confused why they like just strap his name. Like Rainbow Six Siege. It's really Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, right? But why? Yeah. Like why? What is it? Are they in any way related to his work? Or is it just in- not entirely at all related to him? They bought uh so I think it was before he died, but they basically bought Tom Clancy's name, Ubisoft, and like right. all of like his works, as far as I understand, like the publishing rights to his works. Because of how essential it was to his game, starting, I think the first game was Splinter Cell that they did, um, and that ended up being so important to them that they basically acquired it. Ubisoft literally owns Tom Clancy's name, and uh, which was a very wise investment. But I've always been puzzled. I'm like, it's time to maybe move away from Tom Clancy's name because um, I don't know that there are many college kids out there that read the fucking Hunt for Red October. You know what I mean? I don't even. Yeah. I honestly don't even know. I would be super interested if you could pull. Like a cross section of the Division Two players, right? Whoever, like around the world, and just ask them name one Tom Clancy book. Just name one. <laughs> yeah, I could. And I by the way, one no of them idea. is. By the way, one of them is the Division. But oh, if okay. You, but if <laughs> right. but like my, my point is is that they wouldn't even be able to name the Division because they have no fucking idea, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't sure. know. That's a that's a really old man Colin tangent. Uh, but <laughs> I think at some I think at some point I think at some point you'll see that name removed from the games because it's like it, I don't think it, it first of all it makes these games like incredibly lo- Tom Clancy's The Division too like all right you know I, I guess uh, what was that one game they made what was it it was like a this is a weird this is a weird tangent it's irrelevant but I, I feel like maybe I dreamt this or maybe it was real it was like a was it was like a game you did control with like your voice or something was that real it was like a RTS or something. Was it? Um, uh, was Ubisoft like a, made it, or an, or, an, or, an, or a Clancy RTS? You're saying? Yeah, um, it was like it was like yeah, the, the that box like a big bomb going off or something. Have I made this up? Hang on. No, that sounds Dude. familiar. Actually, I'm trying to think of the Tom Clancy. I'm googling. Um, is it a yeah, recent Google, Google game? Yeah, it was, it was it an old game. game. It was an oldish well, game. Like it's not like it's recent-ish. Like Command and Conquer. Like, no, I don't think so. 
Oh, what's that? That's heck? EA, I think. I'm trying to I'm trying to find this. I think it was like a 360 game because I remember seeing people. De no, this is definitely real. I remember seeing people demo it. Like they have like the Xbox 360 headset on, and they're like talking into it, and like they were like, "Oh, this is so cool! Look, it's an RTS, but you you call out the commands and stuff." Um, uh, it's not like XCOM, like a, a feature of like one of the XCOM games or something, is it? No, like, it was nothing it, to do with Tom Clancy or Halo was, Wars or something. It was yeah, I don't, definitely I don't know. Tom Clancy. Oh, what the heck! Uh, if, if I figure this out, I'll... I'll You're going crazy. Speaking of RTSs, you know. I have, I have, I need a void filled of RTSs. I used to play them all the time as a kid. Like, I, I remember... I don't know if this was... I assume this is in every other country, but in Australia, I the Nestle had... A, I think it was Nestle, had a partnership with Ensemble, and they put Age of Empires in, like, cornflakes... The first Age of Empires in Cornflakes boxes, and every kid in Australia had Age of Empires one because oh, they that's had, interesting. And they had like, you know, they put in Cornflakes or other, some other cereal, Nutrigrain or something weird, like one of their, one of the cereals, and inside would be the disc of the first Age of Empires. So everyone <laughs> I know had the first Age of Empires and played it and loved it. Like it was a big thing. And I, is that just Australia? Like is that a thing that sounds familiar to anyone? Like, yeah, I don't remember. No, that. I don't remember ever getting a full video game. Uh, in, in a cereal. box of cereal. <laughs> so I remember getting some. I remember getting some. I remember getting some bullshit in my boxes of cereal, but definitely, but definitely not. Definitely not any video games. I would have lost a, my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. What I found it. I what found a it. Strategy. It was called. What, what is, it, is called? it called? Tom Clancy's End War. Oh, End War. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do remember that game. That is so weird. I remember. I don't know that I knew that it was. I don't know that I was knew that it was voice acted or voice control. That's pretty cool. I remember that being a huge thing, unless I made that End up. War. No, End War was a thing for a little while. I remember that. Yeah, it would have taken me a long time to remember that, so I'm glad you did two, it first. Two, but, 2000, oh, 2008. 2008, yeah, okay. yeah, it came out on the 360, PS3, on the PSP, on uh, Windows, Nintendo DS doesn't it have like well. Doesn't it have like a red and gray cover of some sort? It's or like something? Yeah, red yeah. and orange. It's an explosion, like a bomb going off right. behind the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, I can, I can vaguely see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah it looks like a very 2008 box art. I never played it. Yeah, though. yeah it does. It, it does look like a very 2008 like, box art. It's like Army of Two. Yeah, there's a lot of great. Oh, what a game! Oh, box that. arts. Oh man, oh. for sure. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so RTSs, I need a void filled. Like I've missed RTSs. I had a, I had a feeling the other day. I went and bought Medieval Total War Two because I'm like, really? oh, I need to play some. Yeah, I did, and I was playing it for like a couple of hours. I'm like, oh, this is okay, but like, I need an RTS. Is there anything like these days in the RTS realm that's like really strong? And and is is it Creative Assembly working on a Halo Wars Two? Is that is that out? They've yet? already they already released Halo Wars Two. Oh, okay. Like, Last year, and it was super average. Like I loved Halo Wars One. Halo Wars Two was okay. It was fine. Um, it was a bit, oh, yeah, I was surprised how much, how much exactly the same it was, especially when it was Ensemble that made the uh, first one, and then, yeah, Creative Assembly, uh, but who's making, they're making Age of Empires 4, who's making that? That um, I don't know, I mean, this, this, I can just, you, anyone on the street would know more about PC games coming out than me, so... Um, you don't want to ask Rel me. Yeah, Relic <laughs> Entertainment. Relic Entertainment is making... That's oh, my favorite company. Um, no, I'm kidding. No, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I've also never it, played RTS, so I, I'm really... You've to, so you've um, never, ever, ever played... I played Halo um, Wars 2. I like the cutscenes. They were fun. Cool. Um, RTSs yeah. are a little stressful to me. 
I, I do I do like them, but uh, I like turn-based strategy a lot a lot more. I've been playing yeah. this turn-based strategy game on Vita for like two months called uh, God Wars. I do like one battle a night in bed. It's a nice way to play a game, you know, very slowly, very yeah. glacially. But yeah. I like my uh, I like my turn-based uh, my turn-based nerdy nerdy games, um, you know, to kind of complement the more shooty, slashy shit I play on console. Yeah, so there's a place. There's a place for our. I'm trying to think like. I don't, you know, without really full mouse and keyboard control on console, which is coming, and I think Xbox already really embraces this. Um, I don't know that, you know, RTS could live again on console, yeah. which is pretty fun, you know? So we'll see what mm -hmm. happens there. But I feel yeah. like those gamers are, like, all on PC. I don't feel like anyone on a console even cares. <clears throat> yeah, that's, yeah, I think you're probably mm -hmm. right. I think you're probably right. I need to, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just miss RTSs for some reason. So I just I. Had, had this sort like a week ago that I was like, oh man, I really feel like playing like Rise of Nations or, or an Age of Empires again. But uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. All these games, all these games have funny names like, like Rise of Nations and Age of Empires and stuff. It's yeah. like, it's I, that's why that, that's why I always Civilization is turn based and that's like my favorite PC series. But I that's do why I like love Civilization. I do like me that. too. Oh, it's 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 excellent. And uh, that's what I always loved is I was like, you know what? That's such a fucking good name. At the end of the day, I'm like, what a great name for a game series. You got that's that's all about you know not overthinking it. Civilization, how elegant, yeah. you know? Yeah, how yeah. elegant? Oh, it's beautiful. You know, uh, it's like God. It's like God of War. Yeah, Beautiful. it's tough to get. It's tough to get better than that. It's tough to get better you know? than that. Oh, I love it. As opposed to uh, Infinite Undiscovery or something like that. For <laughs> Square, Square That's not real. Project that is not a real Octo name. No, it, it is. It was, an X, it was an Xbox 360 exclusive from 2007. <laughs> or, or uh, you know, Project Octopath Traveler. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? You know. Yeah. So when you see such elegant. What a Even great marketing like, mind behind that name. What a great oh. marketing mind behind <laughs> Guys, if you guys don't... You, you, your audience should go look up. There was an uh, Xbox 360 Square, Square Enix published RPG called Infinite Undiscovery. It's a real game. <laughs> Infinite Undiscovery. <laughs> no, and, I'm uh, going to look it up. It's, it was bad. And I wrote the strategy guide for it, so that's why I know. Um, but yeah. Oh, no. no. I, I always love the... Uh, I always love just, you know, elegant names. Oh, they're the best. You know? Oh wow! Then you Look can, at like, this really... front cover. This this looks like every game from the early two thousands. It's like. Do you remember when Xbox? Do you remember wow. when Microsoft was making the push to get Japanese role playing games? That was. Oh yeah. That, you know, like Blue Dragon, and Tales of Vesperia, and all those. That was one of the games. You know, um, oh. that came out. Wow. I'm so sorry you had to this. play this. Oh my god! I've, I've never seen this, but I feel like I have seen it a million times. It, it looks like yeah, every maybe in your nightmares. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's where it was. Oh, yeah. this is weird. The same okay. place. You, the same place you came up with Endwar in your head, James. Yeah, <laughs> with, the vo with the voice. I voice came up commands. with it, and yeah, I dreamt it into existence. Though it exists now, doesn't it? It, it now exists. It didn't exist before you brought it up. No. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, t it's interesting. Speaking of like thinking about RTSs, I've also been thinking a lot about open world games and their future. We talked about this uh, maybe two podcasts ago. We had Robin Gaming on. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's and great. Isn't he awesome? I love that he's, guy. He is so awesome. Yeah, he is yeah, su fantastic. such an awesome dude. Um, and we're talking about like open world games now have kind of reached this, uh, I guess, stale point. I think you talked about it on your Days Gone review, you called it a well-worn genre. Uh, and I, I, I totally agree because... 
I'm, it's getting the Ubisoft have their open world formula, and every franchise they have runs in and around that. What the, in a lot of ways, some of the earlier Assassin's Creeds kind of affected a lot of other open world games are out there. Then we have what Horizon does, The Witcher Three does, um, and Assassin's Creed now are doing that sort of style. I feel like we're getting to this warm point, and I've been trying to figure out well, what's the next revolution of open world games? Because it's not being bigger and bigger and bigger. Because Assassin's Creed Odyssey is, I mean, uh, lots of people. In my, this is, is my opinion, that lots of people love it that have never really ever liked Assassin's Creed before this game, whereas as an Assassin's Creed fan, I think it's abysmal. Um, they just built the biggest map possible and chucked in the exact same missions a thousand times. And like, here's a thousand hours of content. This is the best game ever because that's how big it is. Rather than a God of War, which I guess is, is a... It, it's open world, but it's linear. It's, it's this weird on the edge of it. Um, mm, maybe but, Red Dead. Would yeah, be God, a of, God of War is. Yeah, God of War was built like Borderlands is built, like in yes. the sense of like it's not really an open world. It's open areas interconnected to each other. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Or like Red, Final Red, Fantasy Twelve was very similar to that. You know, like yeah. Like I that. think I think Red Dead Redemption Two is probably a better comparison, just in the sense of sure, Red Dead Redemption Two is huge and everything. But, yeah, the whole original game's yeah, map is in it. And you don't even have yeah, to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that's that's fucking wild. Yeah, it's it's crazy, crazy. But I was thinking about it because Assassin's Creed Odyssey is my example that I'm using at the moment of like how, why it's stale. Because I'm like, we're just trying to make every open world game to be better. Apparently, these days, it's like all you got to do is make the map bi- the biggest you can make it, bigger than your last game, have more missions. That, in your, than your last game had make it a longer story than your last game had and that makes it better not about the quality or the experience and the experience is just go to point A to point B talk to someone who tells you to go to point A to point B to collect three um, pelts of a, of a wolf and then <laughs> and then you know, give it to a guy ages away and you spend three hours getting three wolf pelts and that's it and in Red Dead Redemption 2 is the first game I think maybe the direction a potential next direction to go where it wasn't even about there was no markers for side I mean there are markers for stranger missions but there's all these experiences and all these things that happen randomly but they're not random they're planted there but they're not there's no markers to tell you you need to go here this makes this important it's explore the world and you'll find things and you'll just see what happens and it's about the experience. Um, it pays you with experience rather than paying you with, here's this armor piece that you'll get rid of in five minutes. Here's this piece of loot that you'll get rid of in two minutes. Here's this thing you can sell. Or, like, th- games in open world that have the, are rather offering you cosmetic um, rewards that don't really mean anything. And Red Dead Redemption 2 is the first open world game in a long time that the reward for exploring was experience. What do you think, Colin, is the future of open world games do you think it's just going to keep going in this upscaling direction how how do you make it no longer a well-worn genre i feel concerned about open worlds because i love open world games i love the non-linearity i love the agency um my fear with red dead redemption 2 i thought red red dead redemption 2 is a complete feat in game design it's a beautiful game it doesn't control especially well But it was my game of the year last year because of its design. And I don't mean that from its aesthetic, because it's what you were saying. This is the open world that should be replicated, right? But the unfortunate reality is that it's unreplicatable because, or unreplicable, I should say, because that's a a team of 1,500 people with an unlimited budget 
that made the game over literally on a limited budget, right? That, I mean, yeah, yeah GTA Five made a billion dollars in one day. You know, when you make that much money, that's like literally enough money to make the next game, market the next game for years, and then everything else is like icing, you know, on on the cake. And so the unfortunate reality is that Red Dead Redemption 2's world felt so riveting and so alive because you simply didn't know what was going to happen. And that is unusual because you would assume we talk about nonlinearity and open worlds and the unexpected nature of these and, and you know, these, you know, in Days Gone, for instance, it's always fun to encounter like the zombies or the freakers uh, fighting the humans and all this kind of stuff. And that's like an unplanned thing. But there's unplanned events and shit happening every, you know, every minute in Red Dead Redemption 2. And that takes intent and design. And to do that, you need time, right? Mm. Like, I remember playing the game early on and uh, there's this woman whose horse broke, you know, went lame or broke his leg and she's stranded. And I'm like, oh, this is, okay, this is cool. And then I brought her back to town and then I, you know, ride around and I'm like, holy shit. There's like weird stuff like this, one-off things that are happening all over the place because I never ran into another woman with a, a lame horse ever in the game. But I did run into a guy who was like out of water or starving and I did run into like the archaeologist and I did run into like all these random events and this person tied up and these people torturing this one person and stuff. It just felt so alive, you know? And the unfortunate thing about the way Red Dead Redemption 2, especially in the media, was talked about and discussed was... It was all about how hard it was to make that game and how un unfortunate it was that it was so hard to make that game. And to me, as a person who owns a business and loves to work and loves to create, I look at that and I'm like, wow, look at what hard work does. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and people, a lot of people just took the exact opposite from that. And I always thought that that was really unfortunate. And now you're seeing that kind of stuff again crop up. I brought up on Sacred Symbols this week that you know, everyone's talking about these hundred hour work weeks and stuff. And I'm like, you know what, man? Like, I really find it hard to believe just being frank that uh, that many people are working hundred hour work weeks at all, you know? And I think the unscrupulous, the unscrupulous nature and kind of like the incurious nature that people approach these various claims, you know, and these various, um, these various problems is really a huge problem as well, because then it, it dilutes the ability for developers to work hard and to make the games they want to make. You can't make a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 without sacrificing it, sacrificing everything. It's just not possible. Now, whether or not like you want to make that game, whether or not that game should exist, whether or not you want to be on that team, all different stories, right? But you can't make a game like that and not leave it all out on the field. And as a gamer, I was like, wow, kudos, props, amazing, you know? And some people mm. were like, unacceptable. You worked <laughs> what? You worked 70 hours last week? Unacceptable. You know? Do you know and what? I'm like... It's yeah. But also, but also, they don't actually give a shit how long someone else worked. They just want everyone else to know that they pretend to give a shit how long someone worked. No one, no one on earth cares how many hours I worked in my two jobs this week. No one cares. And I, I don't do. expect anyone to care. You know? Like, it's so weird like I found that so weird no one cares no one actually gives a shit about no, how it's just, it's just else something works. else it's just something else to complain about and guys I mean this and I'm not trying to like disrespect people's experiences and I'm not you know I work really long hours and this is the example I used and some people had wrote to me about this being like you're absolutely right where I was like listen I work 50 60 hours a week maybe 70 hours a week at when I need to what these people are suggesting with these 100-hour workweek claims is that they worked an entire another workweek. And this is what I'm talking about, about just, like, taking people at face value, you know? 
Like, there's just no... There's just no argument. There's no, like, do you have any proof of this? Like, how did this all work out? Because what ended up happening, and I thought was so fascinating, was that when all these claims about Rockstar overworking their employees came out, Rockstar released a, an internal audit of hours, and we're like, our internal audit of hours is like 51 hours or something like that a week for yeah. anyone, you know? So they're off by literally 50%. And then yeah. you look at, and then so you, so... I'm not saying people work hard and they shouldn't be compensated and there should be conversations about health and mental health and physical health and well-being, uh, bonuses, getting time away and all that kind of stuff. But I really am just taking – I refuse to take these 100-hour workweek claims at face value. I just don't believe them. Like, I just yeah. don't believe them. Mm. You know, yeah. like, I just don't believe Maybe it happened them. once for, like, for one, you know, during right at the end, it, you know, it happened. But it Few wasn't like – it. it's not a regular thing. It wasn't a Dude, thing that consider, happened for seven years. Consider how many hours that is. It's so many. It's I mean, twice, that's twice what, my, my main job's work week. It's ridiculous. It's it's unbelievable. That's the – and I'm not saying that in, like, a like you know, just throwing – like, a flippant word. It's unbelievable. Like, literally, yeah. as the word means. Mm. Unbelievable. So, to me, I'm like, all right, yeah, it, it's exactly what you said. I'm like, yeah, maybe one time you worked 100 hours in a week. Maybe. And that's but impressive. I but I credit for that. But, you're like, what? But I don't believe you. And I'll tell you right now, guys, I've worked in really critical situations in the games industry. And I worked at, you know, I worked E3s and I've worked all these things. I never worked 100 hours in my life in a week, ever. And I'm a workaholic. Like, yeah. straight up. Mm. You know? So, that's the, the point I'm trying to make is that like we need to be more critical of the things people are also telling us and not like just take things at face value but investigate the claims and like it's so interesting to me how how um incurious people are when the claims are rebutted right um when the housers came out and said like we worked 100 hours first of all they were probably being you know uh they were probably exaggerating as a lot of people do you know mm. i'm starving i could eat a horse you know, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm dead tired. Are I you really like dead tired? Hours this, I worked like 100 right. hours this week, yeah. Right, exactly. So, man, I worked 100 hours this week. No, you didn't. You know, and, like, it's it's just, like, why do we not believe... Why do we just take everything else at face value and then, like, this, we're just like, oh. And then Rockstar releases the information about the audits and hours and everyone just ignores it. You know? Yeah. And, and, to, yeah. and to me, I'm just like, well, what, what, like... <laughs> so, we make it look like... The, my one concern, and I know lots of game developers. I know lots of them. And my one concern is about this conversation going on is that it's so detached from the reality on the ground of the people I know. And I know people at indie studios all the way up to AAA studios. Um, the conversation about game development, it makes it seem like it's fucking, like it's serfdom. You know? Like yeah. these people aren't, aren't, are being held at gunpoint to make, you know, new models for trees <laughs> for 100 hours a week. It's absurd. Yeah. Right? Like I just don't believe yeah. it. So, like, yeah. so, to, so to me, it's just like, I'm not trying to be a dickhead. It's just like we have to talk in rational and reasonable ways. And I bring that up only per, to your question is that the way we get Red Dead Redemption 2 is sacrifice. That's how you get it. You know, and, the way, and, and it, you know, if you want fucking Mad Max, which I liked, but you know what? A better, a better example, Generation Zero. Game sucks. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want an open world game that looks like I made it, then go play Generation Zero. <laughs> if, you want, if, you want, if you want an open world game that took fucking love and care and sacrifice and intent go play red dead redemption 2 you know but how do, you even get, how do you get how do you take what they've done and it's it's the how do you take the philosophy of it though more than just like i don't expect any game until the next grand theft auto or the next red dead to do what red dead redemption 2 did to that level where it is a game changer 
but to take the philosophy of okay, we're gonna open what game we're making. I know, like uh, latest Ubisoft game, Far Cry New Dawn. It does exactly what every Ubisoft open world game does, and it's nothing. It's not that it makes it bad because I don't think it was a bad game I just thought I've seen it before I've seen it a million times before you've got a bunch of locations on the map every important thing that is in this game is on the map for me to see and it's marked this is important go here it has something here it's collectible this this piece of equipment this location has lots of coils in it um, you know everything is marked there's no there's nowhere to go on the map but the biggest thing actually Assassin's Creed Origins is a good example because it was this open world Egypt game and a lot of the discussion from uh, Ashraf Ishmael who's the it was the game director on the game said you're gonna just enter places and run into stuff to explore we want exploration to be a big deal and I love Ashraf he's an amazing game director incredible but my biggest criticism of that game as much as I loved it was the fact that everything important on that map is marked there's nothing in between I know that if it's not marked, I don't need to be there. It's not important. So I didn't take things in as much in the open world experience. The experience was, go to the map, mark this question mark, go to it. That's where something important is. How do you take that away or minimize it and be like, okay, here's this open world game. Let's have the elements. Of course, there's important places. There's towns to go to. There's missions to complete. But... We want you actually to have experiences in the world. Like, is that possible to take that philosophy? Or are we just so focused on this reward system where I have to know where everything is, I have to be able to complete it really fast? I think the answer is probably options, right? I think that games, like for instance, Days Gone, um, which I like more than I think a lot of people like, but they announced in June, you know, Sony Bend is gonna release a free survival mode that's gonna like remove quick travel and like a bunch of options in the game. Um, I think that, you know, the probably the solution to this, first of all, I'm afraid to ask for what I really would want, which is like a game like you're explaining. Like, wouldn't it be cool to have like a, um, almost like Lewis and Clark or something? I don't know if you guys even know who Lewis and Clark are. Yeah, Lewis yeah, and yeah. Clark, uh, you guys know that, right? Okay, so uh, like almost a, a game like that where it's like you have no well, do you want to explain idea? it for just just in case because lots of people probably don't know who Lewis and Clark Okay, is. yeah, so Lewis and Clark is are these really famous American explorers that were hired by Thomas Jefferson to go explore the West, and they went all the way to the Pacific Ocean, um, and then came back to Washington. They went from basically St. Louis to to the Pacific and then back, and it took them like three years. Um, and they discovered all this amazing fauna, and they were the first to contact like certain Indian tribes, and the first to see the Pacific Ocean, all that, whatever. Uh, Americans, anyway. So, um, so I say that simply because they went out into the wilderness and had no idea what was going to happen, like none. They had no idea what they were going to need. They had no idea the personnel was going to work. That any bullets they had were the bullets they had. Any you know meat they had was the, were the meat they had until they hunted. They didn't know what they were going to be able to hunt. They didn't know what they were going to find. They didn't know like if there was a they ran into the they literally ran into the Rocky Mountains. I mean, can you imagine? You know, like how the what the fuck do we do now? You know, and uh, so part of me wants an open world like that where it's like you have no idea what's going on, nothing. You know, maybe you keep oh, your own you give map. It nothing. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe yeah. you keep your own map. Maybe you mark up a map based on what you want on it. Like you, there's this interesting tree that has this interesting these berries that you can, pick, you know, whatever the case might be. And so you want to mark that. Other like otherwise, oh, it's just gone. That's you awesome. know. So 
I would love something like that, but I think that that doesn't have mass appeal, and I think making a game like that would be extraordinarily hard. Although I think the intrigue around it would be amazing if you marketed it right, right? Like mm. literally an open world, no one previews the game, no one sees the game, no one knows what it's about, uh, and everyone just plays it at the same time, right? That would be yeah. something that would be really cool. But I think the, the more logical solution is to simply give people options in the games. So like I'm a sucker for Far Cry. I understand Far Cry is like a complete repetitive nonsense game at this point, right? But yeah. I love Far Cry. I love them. And what would be cool in you know New Dawn, for instance, you brought up, or even in Far Cry 5, which would be a better example, is to say, like, listen, you can play this like a Ubisoft game. We're going to mark the little things all over the map, the collectibles. Here's where you need to go to the missions. Or you can just shut all that shit off. Or you can shut some of it off. Here's, a, here's no map. You know, mm, like just give yeah. people, you know how you map buttons in games and, and like I love that game. I love when games give you the ability to remap your buttons however you want. Give people the ability to remap their experience in such a way where it's like, do you like give, give you, give a person 10 checkboxes. Do you want waypoints? Do you want us to mark resources? Do you want us to tell you where to go next? Do you want us to, you know, X, Y, Z and then make and cater your own experience so you could have Far Cry 6 that could be very mysterious or you could have far cry 6 that could be like far cry 5 and mm. it, and it completely caters to your experience or maybe somewhere in between so i think about i think about game developers making things that are modular and i think that that's like a really exciting next step for open worlds because i agree with you like open worlds are getting they're trite they're getting very trite but the reality is is that they they give you such an amazing uh, experience and such an amazing level of agency over that experience that I find it hard to believe that people are just not going to be infinitely gravitating towards them forever because it's just the genre that works. It's very much like Battle Royale. Like I imagine Battle Royale will taper off and not be as popular, but it's never going to go away. It's always going to be there now because we just people just hit on something that really works. So I think you just have to give people options. I don't know if that's a good solution. Um, yeah. I like the I like the idea of my game more than anything. But I just don't know that anyone would play it, and I don't know that anyone would make it. So yeah, I mm. mean, I, I, you, that sounds like an awesome game. I would love to just because it's different, though. Like I, I used to, I don't know. Growing up, I would replay every game a million times if I loved a game. Like I've, I've played Assassin's Creed two fifteen times from start to finish, fifteen times at least. Like I love one of my favorite games of all time. But since then, I like I don't even play games twice now. Like, I don't, one, I don't have time. Um, like, who, who has the time to play, you know, there's so many games out there. But I am always just looking for new, new experiences, a type of game. So something like that, I'm like, my mouth's watering at a game where, like, they just give you, here's your equipment, here's your bullets, here's the world, uh, figure it out. Everything mm. you figure out, mark and stuff on yeah, your map yourself is cool. Like, like... Yeah, a game builder and that, that sounds just like something new, something exciting. But um, you you mentioned Days Gone. I've, I've been moving house the last two weeks. I have not touched that. Um, both, James, you've played it. I have played it. Not a lot of it, what, not as much as I want, but I've played, you know, probably about seven hours of it maybe. I need to, I need to play a bit more. I, I, I watched your review last night, Colin. And you, you said you had different experiences. One, because you played it pre-patch before the release, but also your opinion of it changed from the early like onset from your five hours to your 20 hours to you know the, the game ending. Um, I'm curious, what's... Well, James, what's your opinion of it now after seven hours? Uh, yeah, look, I... When I first started it, 
I, I mean, I went into it with this sort of preconception of this is going to be a typical open world, almost like a Ubisoft type game, which is not what I'm really looking for. Um, you know, like a like an Assassin's Creed, like a Far Cry, where you know you go do these missions. You know, you go you go to a marker, you have a cutscene, you do a mission, you do another one. You know, you've got you know a few side quest marks, things like that. That's sort of what I went into it thinking. You know, that's what I'm going to get. Um, and in in a way that that is what you get. Um, but the more I played it, the more I'm sort of enjoying it. The more I've, I've gotten to this point where I'm sort of like, yeah, this isn't a Red Dead Redemption 2, you know, it's not a God of War, it's not a Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, it's not one of these, you know, types of games. But what I quite like about it is um, it takes me back to, and I think this is, as well as being a, something that I like is also one of the issues, is it takes me back to, you know, maybe like 2009, 2010, 2011, where you've got games like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Far Cry 3, where they're, they're, they're these open world games, these, you know, something that we've, we've come to know, um, where you've got the main quests that you go and do that are marked on the map in the world, you have cutscenes, you know, and then you do a mission, and it's the same as Days Gone. Um, you've also got side quests here and there, you know, bandit camps to clear out, things like that. But with something like a Far Cry 3 or an Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, I think they're very different from a Far Cry 5 or a Far Cry New Dawn or an Assassin's Creed Odyssey in the sense that I feel there's a, a, there's more care that went into a game like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood or Far Cry 3 than went into these newer games, at least from my perspective when playing them. And I think that's something that I can feel from Days Gone, is that it feels like one of these sort of older open world games from like the 360 era or something you know with with some care gone into it and i've sort of missed that it's just you know a, a relaxing sort of action adventure open world game is 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 how i'm finding it and but i also think that's one of the major issues is it feel it doesn't feel like a current gen game in a lot of ways in in the way there's quite a lot of cutscenes. um you know, it, it, like this, they do, it does this weird thing where sometimes after a cutscene, the camera will pan back to, 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 to the back of Deacon, which is the, the main character, and it's almost like you're going to take control, but then it fades to black and has to load you back into the game, and that's really strange. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of having a good time with it. I'm enjoying it the more that I'm playing it. I really like Sam Witwer's performance as Deacon. I mean, I love Sam Witwer and everything that he's in. I think he's great. Um, and I just think I'm just having a good time playing. I'm just like, yeah, this is just a sort of fun game that I can feel there's some care gone into, but maybe isn't as good technically as a lot of games coming out these days. I think that's probably where I'm at with it now. Interesting. Like, and, and after you've finished it, Colin, and put out your review and everything, what, what's your perspective on hearing someone from the early stage? Is that similar to your experience, at least early on? Yeah. I mean, I think I platinum the game like two days ago, so I'm done with it now. And uh, the game, it's one of those interesting games that requires a little bit of time, I think, to understand. And I don't, I don't think that that's a good design philosophy. I think that Ben, Ben made a lot of mistakes making this game. There, it's, it's no better than very good. I think. I don't think it's like a great game. I don't, you know, in, in the pantheon of PlayStation exclusives, it's, and especially this generation, it's nowhere near the top. Um, but it's just an, it was just an interesting experience for me because. I really understood it the more I played it. Like I, I like when I was just getting more and more into it, I'm like, oh, all right, like I get it. And when I started fighting hordes and, um, you know, like the, I, I wrote online and I think I talked about it in my review, like fighting hordes, the zombie hordes in the game is like some of the most thrilling kinetic gameplay I've experienced in a long time. Like it's really, that is like, that's a game in and of itself, you know? Like it's really fun. Mm -hmm. These fights take like 20 minutes. You know, you make like one mistake and it's over. 
you know, you're setting mines and you're just constantly running, trying to like funnel them through like little things and setting mines and throwing grenades and like turning around and shooting and trying to take a few and like just thin their numbers and then keep running and get on your motorcycle and run through them. And it's really good stuff like that. That particular angle of the game is excellent. Like that's the good stuff. Uh, but the other thing that I liked about Days Gone is that, and I talked about it in the review as well, is that they uh, they made their backyard. This isn't like a fictional world, or as I said in the review, it's not like Gorilla making Colorado, which is what they did in Horizon. You know, Gorilla being in in, in the Netherlands. This is like if you look at if you you know know where Bend is, or you like look at pictures online or whatever. Like this is their world, and so I think that it brings a level of authenticity and real and reality to it which I think is otherwise unfounded. I don't like the excuses that people are making for Bend, uh, that it's their first open world game and their first console game. Who gives a fuck? You know, like, yeah. that, 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 like that to me is like, that. I don't care. Like, as a consumer, first of all, that's not a good, you know, by the way, Horizon was Gorilla's first open world game too. You know, so th that's, not a, that's not a good excuse. The, yeah. the, the bigger thing to me is, uh, why did Sony let this game get released to the to critics unpatched? Or with only, you know, the game was patched five times before it came out. And the difference between patch 1.02 and 1.03 is fucking massive. I'm telling you I got this game like three and a half weeks before it came out. And when I got it, I was like, this is, I was shocked. I was like, why am I getting it? I was, I was like, okay, cool. But I was also like, why are you sending this to me already? It must be in great shape, you know? Uh, but it wasn't. It wasn't in great shape at all. The game was breaking constantly in lots of different ways. It was locking up, uh, it, you know, screen tearing, uh, popping sound disappearing you had to restart your computer you know your pc at ps4 uh it would lock your ps4 up it was in really catastrophic shape and what i think mm -hmm. ended up happening is that because i know because i used to be a critic is that when you get a game early you just jump right into it you get it off your plate and i think that a lot of the reviews are based on this this version of the game that frankly doesn't exist anymore and so what i said in my review and what i really mean is that sony pr and Sony marketing and the, and the whole app publishing apparatus has got to take a lot of the blame for this game getting its Metacritic score, you know, because it doesn't deserve the Metacritic score it got. And it's because they just couldn't fucking wait for it to get patched properly. I don't understand it. You know, like I just, if I were at Bend, if I were one of the guys at Bend, if I were Jeff Ross or one of these guys, I'd be like, what the fuck? You know, like we, our game is stuck in the low seventies and it does not belong there. And it's all because of the fact that you couldn't just wait like a week for us to patch it or 10 days. And I'm not trying to make excuses for Bend. You shouldn't be patching your game that, by the way, was already delayed five times before it comes out. Um, but at the same time, like the, it's, it's like one hand didn't know what the other hand was doing or something, you know? And I, I've been covering PlayStation for a long time. I've never seen a situation like this. Ever. You know, mm -hmm. so so that I think is really quite germane to the conversation and, and something that people have to take on board. I don't think that Days Gone is a great game, but I think Days Gone has a beating heart that really shines through the more you play it. And I think it is a nice first effort. And while it's not a good excuse to say Bend has never made an open world game or a console game, it is fair to say that this is the first console game Bend has made in 15 years. So it is a little something different, you know, so. My hope is is that, and what I understand is that the game is selling pretty well, um, and so they'll get a chance to make it better. And you guys understand this. The first Assassin's Creed game isn't very good, uh, but Assassin's Creed 2 is considered really a classic game to a lot of fans. So maybe we'll see a situation like that again. Yeah, yeah. 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 but uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's true. I mean, I do, 
I do look at, at that with, like you said, Assassin's Creed 1 to 2. And I've tried to think that about a few franchises, but it's it really is... You've got to have... It's got to be there in that first game. There's got to be an element there that you can take. And I think maybe something like that Horde mode is, but is that enough to really build what's going to be, you know, a, a game changer in that, in that sequel? Or enough to really justify it? Because... Yeah, it, it's, it is tough. It is tough. I don't know, man. I, I think that there's a lot of issues with this game that will just go beyond the normal, like the the the, uh, the likelihood that a, a normal gamer will even recognize it or know it. Like, for instance, this game was built on external tech. That's something Sony never does. Never. You know? So, like, how did that complicate the ability for them to make the game? Why do they even choose Unreal Engine? Like, I, I always found that weird. Decima runs open worlds. We know that. You know, their, their internal engine. So there's like, did they not have the know-how and the expertise to make this happen? You know, like in the way that they thought they were going to. The motorcycles in the game, you know, Unreal Engine doesn't even support two two wheeled vehicles. So the motorcycles are actually cars in the game. If you didn't know that, and no. um, and so there's all these little tricks that they had to do to make the game run and work. And when Decima, for instance, Decima probably has a decade's worth of you know documentation. And people that can help. You were learning. We were learning a lot about this with uh, EA trying to make everyone wedge Frostbite into their games because the reality is is that you want to use internal engines because you're paying cuts to external entities if you don't. Um, and Sony forgot, forgot, you know, forgoed or forgotten that with uh, with Days Gone. And I have a question as to why. You know, why is this built on external tech? Why did this game take so long to come out? Why did Sony Ben not conclude that they wanted to do this immediately? Why didn't they, you know, they were porting, for instance, Golden Abyss to PS3 when they started making this game. So wh what happened to that? It's a small team that's making the game. So there's a lot of questions from the development standpoint that we have to ask. It's not simply as, it's not as simple as saying, like, the game isn't as good as it should be, uh, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, I think that this is a much more complicated story. And I think that there, is, I don't think the horde mode for, or not, I shouldn't call it horde mode, but fighting the hordes, I don't think is the heart. I think the beating heart of the of of the game is actually Sam Witwer and actually the performances in the story. Um, and I really found, I really took a lot of umbrage with people saying that there wasn't a story, there wasn't an interesting story. I'm like, I, I found it kind of riveting, you know. Yeah. So, no, I agree. so, so to each his own. But I think that there's a level of authenticity and realism in just the world. Dude, go look at Jeff Ross's uh, Twitter account sometimes and look at the pictures he tweets from his office. Like, he tweets out of his window. It's fucking days gone. Like, it's days gone. And uh, I think that that's so unusual. And so my hope is is that they, you know, I'm pretty confident that they're going to get to make their sequel. And we'll, we'll have to, I'm going to ask these questions when I get to sit down with them, hopefully, you know, in the spring and summer. and Because I have a lot of questions about days gone. I think days gone is fascinating. I've been hearing about this game for fucking six years. You know, I heard about this game at, e at IGN when it was called Dead Don't Ride. It was called Dead Don't Ride originally. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just took forever. And so, of course, we have lots of questions about it. Um, but I think that the final product is acceptable. And uh, I don't think it's nearly as bad as some people are making it out to be. And it's not like Knack or something like that, you know. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. Oh, I think I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fu the future's exciting. Uh, undoubtedly with... with both Sony, well, I mean, with every with every console, Microsoft, Sony, even Nintendo. You know, there's. I'm I'm looking forward to this new Pokemon. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully that's good. The the childhood dream of a console Pokemon game that's you know fully new. That's it. That's exciting. But yeah, there's a lot there's a lot happening. Um, 
before before we wrap this up, Colin, I did, I was curious. I did want to bring this up because on our our last podcast we did, the first one we had you on, uh, it, it became it was just super intense. Um, it, it got very deep, and I was just I wanted to follow up. I was curious because we had a bit of discussion about Twitter and Twitter use um, and things like that, and I know you were you were having a lot of struggles with with using it and um, dealing with people, and I, I was curious of like how in the last twelve months that's sort of changed for you, and if it's changed for you. God, has it been twelve months since we last talked? Uh, no, um, probably like probably like nine almost. months. Probably like nine. nine months. Months. I think it's ten months. Ten months. I don't June, know anything right? about time. I, I don't pay attention to time, so. Yeah, um, it doesn't feel like that long, but yeah. No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, social media is just the ultimate. It's not even a double-edged sword. It's like a very multi-edged sword. Uh, it's more like a, like a mace that wants to bash you in the face, I guess. <laughs> you really you really do, though, get what you get out of it, what you put into it. I've noticed that for a long time, and we might have talked about this on the last episode. So, like, the more incendiary you are on it, the more incendiary people are going to be back. And what I've realized in the last few months, and I don't know that anyone's really noticing this, I know that some people are, is that I've just been totally goofy on it. And um, I've loved and it. I'm get, I've, and I've and loved I'm getting it. it back. Your, your, I, Canada, your Canada poll the other day was beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. thank you. <laughs> and uh, my, my, like, I, I think that just taking it as seriously as it deserves right now is, is perfect, and I'm taking it not seriously at all. And so I found a lot more health and happiness like using Twitter and just not be, you know, I promote my content. Um, I'll, I'll earnestly engage sometimes with people, but usually I'm just fucking around. And that has brought smiles to me and smiles to my audience and and uh, little pleasure. So it's it's been better, you know. I, I Twitter's fun and, and Twitter's such a useful news feed, um, and it's really like always on my screen at home or always on my screen on my my phone. And you know, I don't use Facebook or any of these other things. So yeah, I've just found it to be a little bit more pleasurable, let's say, to use by just taking it a little less seriously. And I highly recommend it to anyone out there listening to just you know because it's like what is it ma- like i see things all the time guys where i'm like oh i want to say something about this so bad yeah. and mm. and it's like but like to what end you know like why like what is it does it really do i really need to chime in every time there's like a death or every time someone gets shot or every time like some bill gets voted on or someone said i don't know like th- am i really that important i think twitter is like a real self-important kind of place as well and so I think the like the you know I try to just pick and choose what I what I commentate on and what I say and and so I get back what I put in, and it's good. Yeah, I th- yeah. no I think even from the, um, our discussion last time, like even just talking about it, I know it, it. I think it helped me with Twitter use as well. Like just, I, I mean, I've always I think I've always been pretty good at you know not I don't really engage in. I don't get myself in arguments or I like do. I don't. Yeah, James, James, too you're much. the worst I've ever, ever seen. You tweet, you tweet too much. You yeah. just tweet too much. Nah, I try Stop my best. Tweeting too I try my best, yeah. but I, I, it's not good enough. Still not good enough. <laughs> oh god. Um, but I think just kind of joking around a bit and taking it, yeah, no, not very seriously is definitely, definitely like the healthiest way to go. And and I think also just I tell you what, I just stopped. I unfollowed a lot of like political people. Like I. I people that I like and I respect and, and whether I agree with them or not, like, I had to unfollow Ben Shapiro. I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's just Yeah, he's getting nonsense. annoying as shit. He's getting really annoying. Yeah. It's the memes I can't deal with. It's I had to unfollow a lot of political accounts as well because just because 
There's, a, there's I just I, I can't deal with it. It was it was all that was showing up because they tweet so frequently as well, and it's and not that I dislike everybody. all these people. It's not that I dislike any of them necessarily. I just couldn't deal with it. I was like, no, I can't. I like having fun in my life. I I couldn't <laughs> log onto Twitter and just see all of the like. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, no, it was no. I had to I had to stop. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a it was a bit like that, and ben, and ben just retweets everybody, and yeah, it got a bit annoying. And well, let's just he does do that. Who's this? Who is this? I'm not in the US, so I don't really know this that well. Who is this girl? That's like, um, I'm not sure what state, um, she's in, but everyone in the conservative Republican side is so obsessed with this Democratic young girl. Oh, Ale- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Like, in what... You, why is... Uh, they're yeah. obsessed with her. They are so obsessed. I'm like, I don't know who this is. I don't think she matters. Why is why is she all I'm seeing in my timeline? Yeah, they're it's, weaponizing her in a really weird way where... Um, she, it's because she's young. First of all, I think she's, she's dangerous to them, you know? Um, she's a young 28-year-old pretty girl who represents a pretty important place, New York city. And, uh, I think that they are, they're making a massive mistake. Like I've said to, I said privately, I don't think I've said publicly, like if I were a liberal, like if I were a fo- like a flamethrower, like a partisan liberal, I would want her to stay around for fucking ever, you know, because no matter like what she says or does, just because she is such a firebrand and attracts so much attention. So, you know, I think she's a, I think she's a fucking moron. You know, in a lot of ways, but <laughs> but you don't want to, you don't want to give people. There's a, it's not ex- Washington D.C. is full of fucking stupid people. Yeah, I mean, well, and, I mean, and and, and Donald in the division Trump's two, it's full of dead what people. What are we? Too. Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump's the president, so I mean, a lot of people think he's a moron, but he's there. So I mean, Aha, it's Donald just Trump really, memes. We needed yeah, one at least. Yeah, we needed one. Um, yeah, so I mean, well, that's all politics. It's where we've got an election coming, a federal election coming up in Australia in just a couple of weeks. And it is just, there's literally a guy, we've got a mining tycoon who's a millionaire, if not billionaire, who is literally putting up signs because he's got his own party now in Australia and he's just, make Australia great again. Like he's literally doing it. Every (laughs) YouTube, every YouTube ad, every single YouTube ad is the National Australia Party, make Australia great again, vote one, you know, National Australia Party, and it's just this guy everywhere, Clive Palmer, it's like, bro, what are you, but he's doing it, he's just doing what Trump did, he's using the exact same lingo, pumping money, his own money into it, even though he owes a lot of other people money, Um, he's, it's hilarious, and I'm watching, I'm like, this is so insane, and in the same way of like, the way Twitter's used, is people will go back, eight years and take someone's Twitter and then be like, uh, they tweeted this photo of this and then they end up not having a, uh, exit the race. It's just so insane what's going on at the moment and who, what people are focusing on. And yeah, it's, it's a clusterfuck. I think it's getting less, I don't know, from my point of view, a little less scary than it was maybe a year ago and a little more just dumb, ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. I've had it. I've had a tap out you know, a little bit. And I still pay attention. I listen to a few podcasts just to keep up with what's going on. I highly recommend the 538 podcast. I love that podcast. Um, but it just makes you miserable, eh? Like, just yeah, thinking yeah, about it all the time. Yeah, I'll just wait until, you know, the Democrats pick their, you know, their person. And um, I might get involved in the Republican primary, depending on who, who runs. And then we'll see how it all shakes out. But, yeah, it's so... Or I'm just so tired of it. I just want to play video games and just smoke weed and... Yeah, fuck yeah. You know, yeah, that's chill. Awesome. Way better. Way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound a lot better. It does sound a lot better. Oh well, I mean, I guess with that, we, we can wrap this this episode of Kill Connor Club up. Colin, 
thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, oh, you're very appreciate welcome. Your Thank time. you for having me. Thank you for having um, me. I'm I'm happy to be here. And we well, would love to have you on again in the future. And um, we know the from the last podcast, it was great response from our audience, but it was so nice to also hear from lots of your audience sending us messages and stuff. They seem to enjoy the episode too. So that I hope uh, we deliver the same again with this one. So yeah, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And yeah, my people are good people. So I'm I'm glad to uh, to be able to spread the love of our little micro communities. And yeah. uh, mm. and let's continue the cross pollination. The bees are dying, so we need to cross pollinate manually now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so so yeah. No, it's it's good. I'm happy to do the show. Thank you guys for having me, and um, I'm wishing you guys the very best. Phenomenal, James. Um, do you want to read the beautiful? <laughs> li- I do. List? I really do. I really do want to read the list. Okay. Thanks everybody so much for listening to this episode of the Kill Connor Club podcast. If you enjoyed and you're just thinking to yourself, I need to listen to more of this, um, not this specifically, but just more of me and Tyler rambling on about things in general, you can do over at patreon.com forward slash as always. I mean, there's also 98 episodes of this podcast, but if you give us just a dollar, you get a week's early access to the Cinema Room podcast. We just did one on Endgame before and there's one coming out. It'll be after this, right? What? Or the same time this goes yeah. out will be the the Game of Thrones one, right? Yes, correct. on Patreon. Yeah. So that's there for you if you're interested and you like Game of Thrones episodes one to three of season eight. So go and check that out, as well as exclusive access to the Kill Connor Clubhouse podcast, um, which is also a brilliant podcast that I would recommend to everybody. So uh, we've obviously got our Patreon producers, King Richard III, Icraic, Seth, and Josh Devellier. Um, uh, pledging $25 plus, but to thank everybody that's in the $5 plus tier. Again, we've got King Richard III, Icraic, Seth, Bullsack47, Cassassin, Josh Devellier, TJFL, Damien, Billy the Team Tournament, Captain Robertson, T-Man or Travis, Kimo Sabay Gamer, Alfie Robert, Casey Wood, Adam Sunling, Alfie Rosell, Jamie the Gamer, Maxi Dork, Lumistrad, Mario5380, Flossing Thanos, Viridian, Pink Flame 313, Aaron Will, Aaron Wynn, Ollie the Dane, Fat Fuck Cuck, Neeb, Brendan Obiku Overlord, Ravjai, Julie, Prudvi Mover, Oscar, James and Lad, Connor Royce Bully in the Alley, Zahir, Gene, Zeke Collins, Son of a Bitch, OG Doggo, Goddammit Glenn, Furious Coco, The ACMJS, Delta Arajugas, Kyle, S. Jaws, Kyle Marvel, Marcus Bikeburn, Emil Catborg, Joshua Mora, Ginkgo Swag, Andrew Katona, Master Bass 2434, Yazen, Joe the Sex Boy Smith, Joe aka Founded Scarab, HBoss12 by Golden Bago, Iron Man's for the Dads, Brian Ford, Casper, Milk Boy, Shields, Fishy, and Andrew Martinez. Thank you all so much for your continued support. It's great. It's really helpful. We love you all. And uh, like I said, just a dollar and you get access to Cinema Room, One Week Early, and Kill Connor Clubhouse. It's amazing, if I do say so myself. Go and check that out. Brilliant. But that's it. I'll back you up Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means it must be true. Uh, So go and check that out. Um, But that's it. That's it for episode 99. Next episode's episode 100. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Colin, for joining us. Um, It's great to have you on. As always... Getting the little plug there. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. I think that's it. I don't have anything else yeah. to say. This is yeah. Uh, I'm okay. Done. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>